0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Hello, friends. Jack Flight School O'Brien here, uh, also known as Jack... Still can touch net if I get a running start and haven't eaten heavy breakfast to O'Brien. Both nicknames that I go by. Inviting you to check out Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties for a weekly basketball conversation with me and my co-host from the Daily Zeitgeist, Miles Gray. We are joined by comedians, writers, podcasters, and fellow NBA fans as we discuss the latest news and events from around the league. Check it out. Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander.
1: Welcome, everyone, to SI Media with Jimmy Trana. Thank you so much for listening. Special episode, fantastic episode. It's a big one for me. First time ever on SI Media with Jimmy Trana. We have Bill Simmons from The Ringer. Don't need to go through Bill's credentials. You know them. I've always said, without Bill starting things, and what I mean by starting things, I mean the adding pop culture stuff to sports and being a sports person who wrote about things that had nothing to do with sports, that sort of led me the way to do hot clicks Uh, back in the day so i always say oh i owe a debt of gratitude to bill so i was thrilled he finally came on first time ever so it's a 90 minute interview he was very generous with his time i'm not even going to get into all the topics just give it a listen you'll enjoy it and then following bill we have our weekly train of Thought segment with salicata so i don't want to waste any more of your time i want to get right to it but i will just tell you quickly last week joe buck troy aikman were on the pod together the ringers brian curtis was on the pod two weeks ago Andrew Marchand of the New York Post three weeks ago, Kevin Clark from ESPN four weeks ago. If you missed any of those episodes, go into the archives, check them out. If you're not a subscriber to SI Media with Jimmy Traina, hit the subscribe button, rate and review it on Apple. We'll read the reviews on an upcoming episode. All right. Enough of that. Let's get to it. It's a big one. Bill Simmons, followed by Traina Thoughts, all right here, right now on SI Media with Jimmy Traina. All right. Joining me now, thrilled to have him on the SI Media podcast for the first time ever. Ever, from the ringer, Bill Simmons. Bill, thanks for doing this. How are you?
2: I don't do a lot of podcasts because I have two podcasts. So I always feel like, why am I going on somebody else's podcast? I do mine three a week. I have rewatchables. So I just feel like I'm saying everything I would say anyway. So anyway, it's nice (laughs) to be on.
1: I appreciate it. I really do. My first question, actually, I mean, I don't really plot out the questions. But the first thing I did want to get into, not get into, but just ask you is, you you said you don't do a lot of podcasts. Do you not like being
2: interviewed? No, I don't mind being okay. interviewed. I just did something last week. No, yeah. I just, you know, I, I I've had stretches where I've done a bunch or I've done different things and um it's fine. I just, you know, I just feel like I spend so much time talking. Yeah. You know, probably my podcast I'm probably doing 5 to 6 hours a week. And then rewatchables, those are at least 90 minutes. And then sometimes I'm doing the prestige TV stuff. So I just feel like it's a lot of me. So I try to make it so that I'm not not doing too much. Right.
1: Well, I want to get into so many things. And I don't want to, I'm going to say this at the top for people listening. I am going to kiss Bill's ass because.
2: Nah, you don't have to.
1: Well, I just want to say this right off the bat. I've always said I feel like I wouldn't have been able to do what I do without. I think you started it and what i mean by it is combining pop culture with the sports making you know i i i don't want to sit here and act like um Norma ray but there were so many battles at (laughs) SI about like you know well this has nothing to do with sports this has nothing to do with sports i'm like yeah sports fans like things other than sports right and you you know you got it rolling with the boss and sports guy and then over to ESPN. So uh, I feel like you don't get enough credit for sort of starting it all for people like me. So I wanted to say that at the top, and I know people are gonna tweet me and email me and say you kiss, but
2: that's what? how I do. You, what's what's bad about complimenting somebody? I don't know. Is that that's, that doesn't work in social media. I mean, we barely have social media anymore. Right. so it's, it's complete chaos now in the. In the well, this is I, my. Your point though on the sports social media uh, sports culture thing though. So when I when I had my own whatever before I got to ESPN, I was just trying to figure out ways to stand out and I couldn't get into the lock rooms. I mean, I've talked about all this stuff, but one of the, one of the things that I felt like was an open lane was the movie stuff and the TV stuff, but especially the movie stuff. And I remember yeah. like, I'm going to say like the fifth or sixth column I ever wrote was I did the top 30 worst sports movies of all time. I just put that up and I just got a lot of feedback for it. And I think as I did a lot of trial and error and there's a lot of error in that when I was on my own, um, the stuff that always seemed to resonate in weird ways was the pop culture stuff. Like people would just go nuts, you know, with all these different, uh, different questions and things bringing up And it, Like I had to think pretty early about how bad of a coach Norman Dale was in Hoosiers and people would lose their minds on that. They either like, Oh my God, I'm so glad uh-huh. someone pointed this out or how dare you criticize Norman Dale? So when I got to ESPN and I didn't have the Boston security blanket anymore because I was supposed to be national, mm. and I was trying to figure out how to be national, I felt like the pop culture could replace a lot of the Boston stuff. So that yeah. that was the thinking. So it seems like most of it worked, I guess. Yeah. Well, I remember when I first
1: started reading you as the Boston sports guy all those years ago, what hooked me in was were the was the writing about your trips to Vegas with your friends. Because yep. I used to go to Vegas every year for the NCAA tournament with my friends. And unless you experience that, it, I should say, if you experience that, then what you were writing—I mean, how could you not just eat that up? And <clears throat> I love that you always used to write about Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero. Right, it was a big I show feel like back in the nineties. Yeah, people don't. I feel like that his show is not does not get the credit today that it deserves for what it was it at does that in time. This
2: house, it's on Pluto. It has yeah. its own Pluto channel, which I think yeah. is a sign usually that mm-hmm. you're doing pretty well. I think. um Sorry, I have I don't know what the hell's going on behind me. it's, um, it's okay. But the uh, the the thing with going back to the Vegas, the first time I really wrote about that was I think March of nineteen ninety nine, and I had no idea if people were going to care or not, you know. And it was like I just had this weekend; it was super fun. I hung out with my friends. We made all these bets. We bet at the we played blackjack till the wee hours. I feel like this is something I'm just going to kind of send this out as a test balloon. And I did a running diary of the trip and I was shocked. Like, people were like, holy shit, you heard about Vegas, Vegas. And, you know, that was, it was kind of the non commercialized 90s for Vegas when we were all going, but nobody really talked about it. Like, Swingers had something about it. Yeah. Rounders had the ending where, like, I'm going to end up in Vegas. Does the World World Series poker belt have my name on it? Whatever he says at the end. But it, it didn't really feel like it got commercialized until the, what do you think, the early 2000s? early mid
1: because i remember i remember my first trip ever to vegas was in oh god i think it was in two it was in 2001 because it was actually a week or two before 9-11 yeah and you know back then you know i had no money so we stayed at the worst hotel you could stay at which was the trop and this is this is how long the ago Trump it was I,
2: that's like a c plus I don't think that was the worst there was you could have done worse than the trop
1: well let me let me let me tell you how bad the Trop sports book was the well, that, you know yeah. like instead of having the uh, digital electrical board with the point spreads, yeah, it was someone writing it on a dry erase board that was their <laughs> that was their board for the lines so that's why i that's why I say the Trop was sort of well, but I mean, my friends, when we used to go. Every year for the tournament, we always stayed at we always went to the Stardust, which isn't around anymore. Right. So there was a big change. Big change.
2: We were Treasure Island (laughs) and I hit like all the checkpoints of Vegas. Like early on, it was four guys to a room. And and I used to write about this. I used to write about the rules of sharing a bed with your buddy in Vegas. So I I always used to slept with my buddy Bish because he would roll one way, I'd roll the other way, and we never touched. And that was just how we did it. And then eventually we were making like barely enough money to now go two to a room. So each one got our, now it's double beds. It's just the two of us.
3: Right. And then right. when
2: you hit like the mid 2000s, all of a sudden it's like, I'm getting my own room. I'm not staying with yeah. you guys anymore. But yeah, yeah the, the when you're four to a room and you're in your mid twenties yep. and you show up on a Friday night and if you blow, you have like $500 you've devoted to the weekend or 300 or whatever. And if you blow that first 300, in the first two hours on Friday night, like it, was, <laughs> it got dark, it's and now you're just standing behind your buddies watching them play, and you just hate <clears throat> yourself. And yeah, yeah, you know, you really it was it was high stakes in a lot of different ways. I'm not
1: sure there's a lower feeling in life than when you go to the ATM at a at a at a casino after a rough stretch. No, because you know like like you shouldn't be doing Vig.
2: it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, you know you shouldn't be doing it, and you just no. can't can't help yourself. No. Yeah. Have you been to Vegas recently? I haven't been in years now. Like yeah. since you know, oh, you've been?
2: I had a... It's so went different in from what I hear.
1: I hear it's so different uh, now. It's, yeah.
2: I mean, to watch how it's changed over the last 25 years. Like Every restaurant's there. The casinos are 100 times nicer. Because I remember like when they built Mandalay, which I think was somewhere in the late 90s, um, and they were like, Mandalay, or maybe it was early 2000s. It was like, here yeah. we go, Mandalay. And then the other ones started popping up on the Strip. But I love the Vegas where it was, you know, the Luxor and it was like, it's going to be a pyramid, but then you would go and there's like cigarette burns on the tables and, you know, it's kind of like a cool idea that went wrong,
4: but now they're like
2: cool ideas that go right. And when you go now, it's like, you can have any sort of best meal you want. Now they have the sphere. They're going to have this F1 thing. I mean, this is going to be the best six months in Vegas history because they have the Super Bowl too. But I went with my son in, uh, in July. And um, it was his first time at like a normal, not little kid age. She's 15, but we went for UFC. Um, we went to Summer League. We saw Wimbenyama. We had two good dinners, and it was great. And I, I was like really like proud of how cool it is to you know drop it out of Vegas. I should mention it was like 134 degrees, but right. Um, but it was really fun. I, it's they figured it out. They know what they're doing with Vegas, yeah. and I think the sphere is by all accounts i mean do you know people who have gone there everyone says I it's the coolest thing ever
1: i haven't spoken to anyone who's gone there but i saw the videos of the u2 concert there and it, it just looked yeah. ridiculous it was so it just looked so amazing
2: yeah so Tomorrow, they have so. f1 they have f1 coming up they have yeah. the in-season tournament which i think will be a thing at least for the basketball community they have the super bowl and then they're gonna have ufc 300 yeah. So when you just like go on down the line, it's probably the best six months in Vegas history. Maybe this will be the year Mike McD wins world series of poker. I guess we'll see. The yeah.
1: Their football team could use some help though.
2: Football team could use some help.
1: There's no, they could question. use some help. Yeah. And the super Bowl's there this year, which should be, I mean,
2: it's going to be bonkers. What, what, what be would great. you say? The
1: over under is on sports writers who get in trouble.
2: Oh man. I'm going to say at least like four and a half. i mean well now there's so many ways for sports writers to get in trouble it's like one tweet and and you're dumb but i I think with the uh with the f1 which we were there in july and they were Mm -hmm. building the track so our cab driver he's taking us to summer league and and uh he 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 was like sorry there's a lot of traffic because f1 he's like and i'm like f1 is that what they're building over there in that thing he's like no we're on the track right now and i'm like we're on the the road is the track and he's and I it didn't hit me in my head that the strip is actually you know and the the side streets are going to be the actual track I don't know how they're going to do this in time for early (laughs) November but it sounds like it's on schedule but yeah uh, it's
1: like first week of November right yeah it's crazy yeah Yeah. it's crazy um let me shift gears back to your career a little bit I want to get into some things you probably don't love this topic but like I said I feel like you did start it all and you're still yeah. going. You're still going with the podcast, which to me is just amazing. Can you believe that you still are doing this podcast? I mean, you were the, the you were the OG podcaster. You were the first. You started it all. I feel like well, at least in, for in, sports, yeah, yeah, for
2: sports, probably had one of the first yeah. ones. Yeah. And here you are,
1: still doing it, still with a rabid audience. Do you, do you ever sit back and think like, wow, this is this is quite a run, or you don't allow yourself to think that way?
2: I don't really think that way. I just kinda keep going and at some point I thought when I when I did this Spotify deal, I thought maybe this would be the the last kind of run, but I still feel I still like it. I still feel like I'm good at it and I still feel like my audience is growing as weird as that is. That um, is crazy. So for you know, I just look at it like can I can I either be a little bit better or better than I was last year? How do I do that? What are the steps? Sometimes My issue is always if I'm taking on too much other stuff and you eventually learn how to let that not affect the the stuff that's public and people can hear or read. But there's been times, especially like in the late 2000s, I think was the first time when that was when I was doing the podcast, but we're also doing 30 for 30. Um, And that was the first time. And I had a book tour and I I remember like feeling like, oh, shit, I, I didn't plan this out correctly. I'm not I'm not. I'm not I'm not balanced enough here. Yeah. Um so that's it's like trial and error. It's like anything else. You live and you learn and you remember like, oh that last year when this happened, I this got screwed up. So then you just kind of apply it to the next year.
1: I feel like you're not doing as many interviews on the pod as you used to.
2: Yeah, that's intentional. Um it's only because of uh I don't really like the Zoom interviews. I don't feel like uh just don't enjoy them as much they're fine but um it's two reasons one is i feel like i've interviewed almost everybody i've ever wanted to talk to right and as you know like the first time you have a podcast with somebody it's like almost like the first date and it's always gonna be the best one and then you bring them back and it's like the second date we had a good time (laughs) on the first date let's do it again and you know then i like somebody like matt damon who i've had like four or five times and then kind of the last one for me and him to do was to also have it with Affleck. And that right. was awesome. That was probably one of the best podcasts I did this year. But you know, you, you, you only have so many of them. And, and I found that like, I felt like I talked to a lot of people, but we had this run in seventeen, eighteen, and 19 before the pandemic um, where they were coming to my office and we were right in the middle of Hollywood. So it was easy to get people and we were grabbing a lot of them. If there was like a late night TV show or something else and, Um, and I felt like I had their undivided attention for like an hour and a half or an hour, however long it was. And it was great. And we had so many good ones. And then when the pandemic started, then the celebrities started being like, oh, let's just do it on zoom. And then you feel like you're one of three people or five people that they talked to that day. And it just didn't feel the same. So we got to figure it out. The Spotify office is in downtown LA, which is not as convenient as, you know, some of the other places. So that's, that's been another issue.
1: So all, like, you mentioned that run you had with the celebrities. I remember I remember. I, I reached out to you about, after you had Julia Louis drive on, because I thought that was a yeah. tremendous interview. So all those interviews, the celebrities were there with you in person. Pretty much
2: them. every, yeah, every single time. we. Got, I kind of insisted on it, actually. Or I would go, if they didn't want to come in, Some there was a couple times where we went to them. And now, one of the things we learned during the pandemic, which is so stupid, because we had a media company, and I wish we had realized this sooner, is, it's easier to do stuff remotely than I think we realized or thought. Yep. And once we kind of got over the hump with that, it started, I remember with KD in 2017, we did a couple on location KD interviews and I was like, we're going to, how are we going to do this? There's going to be echoes and you know, but the equipment's good enough now that you can basically go anywhere. We did, we interviewed KD after they won, I think in 2017 and we did it like in the basement of the house he was staying in, you know, and we just like, Grab some mics and had the Zoom and we were off. So you know it's too, the other problem is that I feel like all the guests have done a million <clears throat> interviews now.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And there's it's not the same kind of vibe. So for me, it's like if I'm going to have somebody, I really want it to feel like I, I want to be excited about it. I just want to do it because we got a celebrity.
1: Are there people? that do you think there's enough people out there that would get you like, are you, is it like there there's only one or two people that would get you excited to Interview? Or you think there's enough people that would get you? No, excited? There's more than that. I, okay. I still
2: think there's a lot of yeah. people, but um, yeah. you know, and sometimes people <laughs> surprise you. Like some of the best ones are the ones yeah. you assume. Oh, this will be fun. And then it's like incredible. I remember um Chadwick Boseman was actually like that. I think I figured he'd be good, but then you mm-hmm. sit down with him. It's like, man, that was really cool. Like what a thoughtful guy, but, um, but there's been a few where, you know, you think it's going to be like a a B and it ends up being an A. I was fascinated
1: by the Julia louis Jefferson because she seemed like she really liked you. She seemed like she thoroughly enjoyed the interview. I think there were questions where she was like, wow, I've never been asked that. Or, you know, that's a great question. Yeah. That one, and I thought it seems like there's like a relate. When I was listening to it, I'm like, wow, she's really into this. Like she came to play. You know, sometimes people don't come to play on a podcast. She came to play. I thought on that one, which was great.
2: Yeah. Well, one of the things I realized, probably like 2008 or nine range, I started having people that they would actually come to my house. So um, a lot of the times, sometimes we did them remotely, which sucked. But then other times, if it was LA people and I knew them, or I knew somebody who knew them, or Lewis knew them, or whatever. They would come over, and I never used notes. You know, I always feel like um, I, I'll, I'll prepare a little bit sometimes ahead of time, but for the most part, I really wanted to have the feel of, like, I'm just talking to this person. So I, I realized that pretty early on, like around 08 or 09. Like Stern does it the other way, right? Stern does it where right. he lays out the whole interview. He's got, like, his outline for it, yeah. and he goes from topic to topic and kind of pushes the person that way and then gets them to say what they want. I'm like, I know what I want to start with. I kind of know what the arc where I want to go with it, but if it's going to go sideways or left or right, like I'm ready, I'll be able to do whatever. And I I think my goal with the interviews was always like, I wanted the person to forget they were on a podcast. So even like when we built the Grantland studio in the early 2010s, we built it in a way that people went in there and we had cameras that didn't seem like cameras. We had these cameras that almost looked like, you know, lamps. And they would talk and they would forget they were doing a podcast. And we did it at The Ringer, same thing. We built this studio right. that didn't feel like a studio. We did it in my office. So um, I think that was really important every time where people felt relaxed and they kind of forgot they were doing an interview. And I also think, like, celebrities, you know, they, they're used to doing the late-night stuff where they have to do a pre-interview for an hour. Yep. And then they have to go out, and it's like two seven-minute segments, and they have to tell the three stories that they all had agreed on beforehand. And it's more performative. Yeah, And I, I think that's one of the reasons podcasts took off <clears throat> with all the guests. I'm sure you've had guests that you're like, man, that was cool. It's, you're not ever going to get it totally on Zoom. It is, it's always going to be better in person.
1: Oh, 100%. 100%. But th- this is the problem with interviewing a great interviewer. All of my stuff with Julia Louis. I was trying to lead up to – the fact yeah. that what always fascinated me about your interviews more than anything when I would watch them was that you had no notes, nothing, right. not a piece of paper, not an index card, nothing. And it, I was, as someone who interviews people, I was just like, I want to know if he's got, because I don't, I don't write out questions either, but I'll just, I'll write topics and bullet points. Yeah. And it blew me away that you wouldn't even have that going on. So, for like, just for an example, like a Julia Louis Dreyfus, or even a Kevin Durant in the sports world, what would be the prep like since you didn't use notes?
2: So, all right, so Julia Louis Dreyfus, that was probably like four years ago. Um, I think we, I think we started. It de- it depends what I'm trying to get out of the interview. So, so you want to get to the point, like. You want them to be relaxed. So you want to start them out on something that, you know, you can just shoot the shit on. And then sometimes I'll go backwards. Like with certain actors, I would go, let's go backwards and just go through your movies. And that was always fun for them because a lot of times they hadn't thought of some weird movie they made in 1985. With her, I think we talked, there was some Larry stuff and some Seinfeld stuff and just in general what she was going on and stuff with her son and what it's like to be a mom and have to work and things like that. But then I think we went backwards. And usually if the people are comfortable and you go backwards with them, they like talking about their stuff. It doesn't always work though, because I remember with Denzel, it just became pretty clear. And Denzel is like one of the five most, intimidating is the wrong word. He's just Denzel. Like you get almost psyched out. He's like the coolest guy on the earth. He's seen everything. He's not trying to impress me. He doesn't have to impress anybody. He's Denzel Washington. And what was interesting about him was he didn't, he doesn't really think about his movies after he does them. Right, right. But once we talked about the He Got Game basketball scene, he was in. So I knew, so like I went into that one and I'm like, all right, I know I can talk sports with him. I know I can talk about his son. I know I can talk about the He Got Game thing because all these guys love to talk about you know the time they played an athlete and it was filmed mm-hmm. and they actually held up held their own right. So once right. he talked about that, he loosened <clears> up and you know it got good. The it's best ones, though, I mean, the easiest ones are when the guy knows the game. Like you, like Jason right. Bateman, even before Smartless, I knew him a little bit and he came on. Those are the easiest ones because they know yeah. how to give it back and have fun yeah, yeah. with it. And
1: but but in terms of like, are you spending hours research? Like, do you even? bother going to a wikipedia page do you
2: even no bother? I, ne- I never ever go to wikipedia page for an interview i I don't so your research I, is I'll basically all that's in your head oh okay imdb yeah, yeah it's yeah. i don't like to have people on that i don't want to talk to i think right. that's another my my two goals are like i want them to have a good time right i don't understand the interviews where the people feel like um they have to challenge them or make them uncomfortable in some way. And then that was like part of, well, I had to do that because you right. were here. Um, I'm not saying you can't talk about tough stuff or, you know, put push into certain directions that might be a little uncomfortable. And I certainly, you can look through all the stuff I've done and there's been a lot of those, but it's always <laughs> been organic and it's not right. like, you know, um, right. so that's one. and I want them to feel like, Hey, I'm glad I did that versus like, uh, you right. know, I, I never understood that style of like, oh man, we we trapped that guy and he was right. squirming. Like, right. I just what are what are we on? Sixty right. Minutes? Like, this is supposed to be like a hangout interview.
1: Well, I think also, I think a lot of times today, you as an interviewer, not you but the royal you, can go into an interview with that mindset because I know I do that a lot, and you don't think something's a big deal, and the aggregators. aggregate it and you're like wow i didn't think listen when i do this i know what's going to get picked up yeah you know i had buck and aikman on last week and you know joe had talked about not he's never doing baseball again i said okay well i could see people picking that up but like joe had a line in there about how he fox didn't like the way he used mike pereira when he was there and a website picked that up and i was like i didn't even think that was you know so I think a lot of times people can go in with good intentions and then it's that one sentence you get pulled and off you go.
2: Yeah, I don't love that stuff. But, you know, sometimes when the person says it, they kind of know it's going to happen. I also feel like...
1: Well, you got screwed with the Jalen Green thing, which I defended you on in a column because...
2: And And usually I don't care, but then there's a couple times a year when... Something gets pulled out of context and you feel like, all right, this is not right. I'm going to say right. something on this one. But for the most part, it's it, shit is what it is. Well,
1: I also think, you know, if you, you know, basically the way it goes down is you'll scroll through Twitter and someone will tweet like, oh, Bill Simmons said, fuck Jalen Green. And, and it's my in head, replies. Yeah. And, yeah. And my head just, the way my brain works is, okay, so if he said that on his podcast, I have to listen to it because if you just see the words, fuck Jalen Green. Yeah. It could go twenty different ways in how someone means that. So you have to listen to it. Then when right. I listened to it, I was like, how can anyone listen to this and exactly. not realize the way he said it?
2: But the people who were writing it didn't listen to it. So I know that's that but that's one of the things I love about podcasts is there's real nuance with it. And yeah. the audio is usually gonna back you up. You know? Yeah. Like you can you can write something and it can get pulled out and misinterpreted or whatever. Um, but the audio, you can tell from the town. Uh, I'm sorry, the tone, whether people are laughing, whether it sounds like they're having fun with it. But in general, like with that, the stuff, the aggregator stuff, the stuff that gets pulled out, I, it, it's it's pretty small. Those blogs, I just don't think they matter. I think mm-hmm. it matters when it's a basketball, when it's somebody like Winhorst, right? And he's doing a podcast, and he has an intel on stuff, and like let's say. Let's say he thinks Zion Williamson like, hey, maybe he's not long. I'm, this is an example hypothetical for the <laughs> Um Hey, maybe Zion Williamson isn't long for New Orleans. And you're in a podcast and we're talking like we're talking now and you want it to sound like a conversation you have with your friends. And I said to you, I'm, I'm being windhorse, like, yeah, I don't know how long Zion's in New Orleans. Like, I, It right. feels like that might be at the end of the road. The moment Winhorse says that, that's on Hoops Hype that becomes a story ESPN commentator thinks Zion's at the end of the road. But then if you listen to the nuance of it, he's saying like, yeah, I don't know. This is year five. Like, you know, would they move on from him? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not reporting this, but you can just pull out that one thing and then people can get a day of content. The the other thing that's happened, this isn't podcast related, but with the media is just now people are putting their tidbits out. The intentional ones to start news cycles. I was talking about this last year on Mondays. It's like, I call it, it's, it's the opposite of the Friday news dump. It's like the Monday news starter. (laughs) And that's when they'll put out there Donovan Mitchell might not be as happy in Cleveland as we think. And it's always like Monday at 10 o'clock AM. And then that can start the two day cycle. So a lot of it is about either trying to stop a cycle from starting or trying to start the cycle, um, in a way that you can blow it up.
1: I have a great story for you that you'll appreciate. Based on what you were talking about with the wind, the window horse example. Um, yeah, because I know you're a Mike Francesa guy, so you'll like you'll oh like this. You'll like this story. So remember, this was years ago, probably five six years ago, when he had the app for eight ninety nine a month. Do you remember? It was short.
2: Yeah, tr- I, I, I unfortunately do remember this. Yes. Okay.
1: So I had Andrew Marshan of the New York Post on the pod, and. We're talking about Mike, and then I'm like, you know, he's charging what Netflix charges. Like, it's just, you know, it's right. comical. And, and Martian goes, yeah, like, you know, let's say he has 300 subscribers. That's, you know, this, this, and this, and this. Okay, so the pocket goes out. No one thinks anything of it. And, like, two days later, Mike gets on the fan and destroys Marshan. and he's like, <laughs> how dare you say I have three?" He goes, right, listen, oh my God. I'll tell you this. I got more than three hundred subscribers, and I'm like, "How did he even hear? Like, what the hell is going on?" So uh, that was a, cl- but I mean, I loved
2: it because it came from my podcast. That Mike's going nuts about it. So that was a. It's so fun. It's so funny when the thing. It's like a game of telephone. I said this thing last year during the playoffs, yeah. or after the playoffs, when the Suns got Bradley Beal, and I, I was talking on the podcast about it. And I was like, "Look, I, I just don't think if you replace." Landry Shamit with Bradley Beal. I think the series is the same. They couldn't stop Denver. Like Bradley Beal wasn't helping their defense. Denver was still going to steal. They yeah, still yeah. would have lost the series. So I had a friend in my life, a Phoenix fan, who was like, "Dude, what was that thing you said on your podcast about how Bradley Beal isn't better than Landry Shamit?" And I'm like, "What?" And he's like, "Yeah." And so then I Google it, and of course it's on like some Suns <clears throat> Reddit or something. This idiot, he thinks. Uh-huh. Landry Shamit's as good as Bradley Beal I'm like that is totally not what I said I was saying if Bradley Beal Was in that series instead of Landry Shamit, They still lose to the Nuggets because the Nuggets They couldn't stop Jokic Right. But it's stuff like that where you either have to decide Do I want to get mad at this Or can just this stuff's going to happen every week And just let it go and who cares So I'm in the who cares camp Got it
3: Witness the dawning of a new era In automotive luxury With a reveal unlike any other
0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
4: Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. Obvious.
1: unlike you who just wings it with your interviews. Um, this, and this one will be for the aggregators, but I, I am curious because I've always oh, well, wanted know to ask you. Yeah, yeah. I've always, I just wanted to know, how do you look back at, on your time at ESPN? Because I, 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 I I'll know. say this, because I always feel like there are certain people, there's not a lot, but there are certain people in sports media, you're one of them, who I feel like just cannot work for a company that's tied in with leagues. Like you just can't do it because you want to be honest about what you're seeing. And if you're working for a company that's got deals with the NBA and the NFL, it's tough. So even when you were there that whole time, I'm like, let's see how he walks the tightrope. So I'm curious how you look back yeah. on
2: it. Super proud. I th- I was there for 14 years, and I feel like I elevated that place in just a slew of ways. And that's it. I don't think that's bragging. Like I think, I think uh, I look back at the ESPN experience. I'm like, I fucking killed it for those guys. There's no question. And that's it. Um, I had the biggest column they ever had, I had the biggest book they ever had, had, the biggest podcast they ever had, and I co-created 30 for 30, and I created Greatland. And I did TV stuff. I did all kinds of things for them. And it was all in a 14-year span, and I'm really proud of it. Like, I don't have bad blood for ESPN. I look at that as, like, that place elevated me, and I elevated them. So Do if you re- they, people want to aggregate that, that's fine. But that's how I feel.
1: Do you regret calling Goodell a liar?
2: No cuz he lied. I mean he the Ray Rice right. thing go away. like he wasn't being honest about it. So, you know. Look, that that was a complicated situation in a whole bunch of ways and it was 9 years ago and, you know, anybody I was even dealing with at the time in ESPN in 2014, I don't think one person is there at a higher up scale. You know, right. cuz people ask me like, are you still a bad boy with ESPN? I'm like, I don't Anyone in that was in the decision making spot when I was there, they're not there anymore. And right. for some of the reasons are because they probably weren't that good. Other reasons are they moved on somewhere else. But you know, I I know Jimmy and Burke's a Holy Cross guy. Like I know those guys. I like those guys.
1: Right. right. It's just that's it right there. Though you can't call Cadell a liar if you're working for a company that. I'm talking about even today that is tied in with the NFL. So like, for like, you had to go out on your own just, just to get the so your fans could get the
2: full Bill Simmons experience. That's how I feel. I know, but I, I still and I've said this before. I, that was still slightly a mistake on my part that podcast, you know. And I I wish, uh, you know, we it was a Monday, we were racing to get it up, and I think it just was too contentious. I could have made all, but the you don't regret points. it. You said. I don't regret what I said about Goodell. I'm saying we could have made like two small edits that would have made it just as impactful and not turned it into a me versus ESPN story. Cause I thought what I was saying about Goodell was really important. I also had all these Grantland people that I really cared about. And I think that was the piece that, um, from the minute it started going, that was the part that bothered me. Cause we had like, I don't know, 45, 50 people. We really were proud of all the stuff we were doing. And, um, I we were just in such a good spot, and that was like the last thing we needed. I was right about Goodell, but should I have gone as far as I should have? I don't know. No. Um, I I wish, like in retrospect, um, to put people that worked with me, you know, then they're stressed out. They're like, is is he get is he gonna get fired? If he gets fired, is is this site gonna exist? Like that. That's just stuff like. That's where you, you know, as you get older and I'm now officially old, like I'm almost (laughs) in my mid fifties, but sometimes you you can learn lessons even when you're in your mid forties, like, is this worth it? Or what are you trying to accomplish by doing this? How far do you want to go and what are, what is the collateral damage? And I think my mistake with that one was not, not seeing in the moment the possible collateral damage.
1: Yeah. Now, one thing I, that came up when I did research which I had forgotten about I remembered it after I saw it but I had forgotten about it at the time and I remember thinking I, I said this at the time and I'll say it again I can't think of anything more degrading for a person who's in a high level position than calling an adult and saying you're suspended from Twitter. But you had gotten suspended from Twitter yeah. at one point. What? I, here's what I want to know about that. I want What is that phone call like? Like you have this executive in his 50s or 60s probably calling you like, Bill, you're suspended from Twitter. I mean, could you really, really just... Are you serious with that? I mean, how pathetic?
2: Well, Twitter was at a different point of Twitter where I think they were a little fearful of... You have to remember what ESPN was like for basically the first four decades, right? It was like ESPN was the platform. They controlled everything. The only time you heard from talent was when they were on ESPN or if they gave an interview to somebody or like Jim Miller's book, that was it. And all of a sudden Twitter, especially early days of Twitter when people were, you know, (laughs) <laughs> I mean some of the oh seven, oh eight, oh nine tweets that people had are like insane when you look back um, and it was just different it was almost like a giant message board with no consequences and I think they were having a real real trouble trying to figure out how to police it so I think I got suspended twice the first time was 09 um when I was doing my book tour and one of the local stations this guy that I couldn't stand was taking shots I just I I just fired back with both barrels, and then they were like, "Hey, lay off Twitter a couple of days." I'm like, "Fine." Um, the second time though was the first was the first take thing, and that was one too where I really felt like my heart was in the right place, and I don't regret what I said. But on the other hand, like my friend Horowitz was producing First Take at the time, it turned into this whole thing of the way it got aggregated it was really instructive to me, instructive to me. Um, but I still felt like I was right. Like, you know, I really genuinely cared about elevating that place. And if you look at the stuff, especially from 09 to 2015 that I did, I was trying to make that place great. Like, I really felt like I was in the 27 Yankees and um, I wanted us to be great. And I saw something like that where they just pitted Richard Sherman against Skip Bayless. So Richard Sherman could just kind of lay into him for 10 right. minutes. And I'm like, what is this? This isn't is this what we want to be as a company? And now you think 10 years later, like, you know, the it, part of it is what they want to be as a company. Because now if something like that happened, it would immediately be leading the front page ESPN.com. It would be like, Sherman lays in the Skip Bayless. And, you know, they kind of dabble in that stuff in a much more aggressive way than they did.
1: Yeah. Is it wild to you to see now ESPN lighting their personality? I mean, what Stephen A. Smith does is wild. Like he's on first take, but then he has his own podcast where he's, you know, salivating over the bachelorettes and giving out yeah. dating advice and obviously now they have McAfee it's yeah. i mean this is not your uh, this is not your dad's ESPN anymore is it wild to you to see the the transformation
2: it's wild and it isn't because i think when your business is changing and you don't know how it's changing and how to necessarily keep winning you start taking bigger chances and bigger gambles. And right now, one of the gambles they're making is to build around big personalities. You know, mm-hmm. when I was there, it was a combination, especially like the last five, six years, it was a combination of let's lock in big people, but also let's really try to develop talent and let's try. Like you look back at the people we had at Grantland the first four years, right? Just Grantland as an example. Cause there were others. Cause ride home, found a bunch of people and you know, we were finding talent all over the place, but Grantland, the people we had looking back, it's fucking nuts. You know, um, just, I, 10, 12, 13 people who ended up becoming much bigger names and whether it was writing or on TV or video or podcasts, or whatever. Um, we really cared about that. Skipper cared about that as a company. And I, I think ESPN from a development standpoint, it seems less focused on it. Now part of that can be you don't have the people who are good at finding up and coming talent. Um, I think that's something that Grantlin and the Ringer, like I feel like we've been the best at. Um and maybe they maybe they just aren't as focused on it or they don't have the right people. But it becomes you become a baseball team where you become like the Steinbrenner Yankees where you're like, you know, we're we'll win free agency. Yeah. And it's smart. You know, they have a, like the Buck Aikman thing was brilliant. The Manning cast has worked out really well for them. So they're spending their money on smart things <clears> for the most part, but it's, it feels a little different.
1: Yeah. Do you, I, I mean, listen, everyone knows you as the diehard Celtics, diehard Are you, do you consider? Would you consider yourself a sports media nerd? Do you like following all this stuff with the broadcasters and the radio shows and the hot take shows? Do you, do you follow that extremely closely? Do you get well, into that? give me that? an example. Well, all right. I like let's start here. NFL announcers. You yeah. have your favorites and the people like some people which blows me away will say like, "Oh, I you know, I don't pay attention to the announcers or the announcers don't affect my enjoyment or non-enjoyment of a- I'm like, I don't know where you're coming from because like I can give you something on every
2: NFL announcer. Um, yeah. So let's well, start with that. You have a favorite crew in the NFL? I'll I'll tell you that Brian Curtis is probably listening to this right now and laughing because he's the person I text about announcers all the time. I do love this stuff, but I I mean, I, this was in my DNA from when I had my column 25 years ago. Um, yeah, I have a lot of announcer thoughts, the studio show stuff. I'm just confused by, it was one of the reasons we created the wise guys show for FanDuel TV because we were like, there's no studio show for people like me that like football. Um, (laughs) They put the CBS one as six people this year, which I think is hilarious. I've done those shows. Four is like a lot. Yeah. You can do it. You need a traffic cop or you need to be able to really share the ball. But four is kind of the max. When it, when it was five and it's like a four minute, five minute segment, it just doesn't work. And I, I think the, you could say this for podcasting too. I think part of the problem with content is most of the people that decide how to do content aren't people that ever did content. Right, so they're right. like we have this five person your cbs we have this five person studio show that's a lot of people we can get jj watt mm. well he's great we gotta get him well who are we gonna bump from the show nobody and then you just now you have six people yep. and all that does is tell me that nobody who is in charge of that has ever done anything tv podcast anything because a six-person show is like literally impossible so I enjoy the stuff like that. It's yeah. funny to me that the same mistakes are made over and over again. We're like, we learned from uh, Jerome Bettis is a good example. I think Jerome Bettis should have been good on TV. They took Jerome Bettis. He retired. They threw him on a studio show right away. And this is what happens over and over again. The people they have no training, they have no reps at all. And they're just kind of thrown into the fire. I've done that stuff. I got thrown mm. on PTI in 2009 I was fucking terrified. And Kornheiser, who's like one of my favorite people who ever lived, like he threw me on his back and he carried me for four days. I was terrified. I didn't know what camera to look at. I didn't know how I was doing. And they're telling me, like, you're doing great. You're doing great. I'm like, I know I'm not doing great.
1: When did you feel like you got comfortable doing it? How long did it take you to where you you weren't terrified? The NBA show.
2: The countdown. I got, I felt like, I remember I went back and I did PTI three months before I left ESPN. And I had gotten a whole bunch of reps at that point from Countdown. And especially like the first season in Countdown, we went hostless, which was really fun. And it's the way, honestly, the way they should do those shows. And I ended up, Will Bond would take us in, but I would end up doing, bringing us in and out. And I kind of learned how to do TV during that season, which was weird because it was on television, you know, with a massive audience. <laughs> uh, but I got reps. So mm-hmm. I went back and I was like, I really want to do PTI again because... I don't think Kornheiser knows that I know how to do this now. Right. Right. So the first day we did it and I was like, I brought it. Like I was like, I I was like a game seven for me. I'm like, I'm going to be fucking good on this PTI. And he was kind of surprised. Like I could see it. And then after the show, he's like, wow, that was totally different. And, we were doing a Tuesday show too. And I, and now I know cornizer and I'm like, I know he's going to bring it tomorrow. Now I got to be more ready. So we yeah. did the Tuesday show and it was great. It was like as good of a PTI as you're going to have. And we were just like back and forth, boom, boom, boom. And it was the, exactly how you should do it.
1: But do you feel like it almost, it made sense then for them to throw you on in the beginning when you were terrified and you had no experience. It's almost like you needed it to start out that way in a way. Oh no.
2: My theory on this is Yes. I think for, for something repetitive shows like that, yes, because you have to get the reps somehow. Right. Um, I think when you're an athlete coming off you know, the field or the court and you're just getting thrown onto a studio show with people who have been doing it forever, I, we saw this with Shaq. Shaq right. seemed unrecoverable after the first year, if you remember. Right. He got yeah. thrown in with Barkley and Kenny and Ernie, yep. and he was terrible. And I think even Shaq would probably admit now that he was terrible. And it took... I would say three years for them to figure out what to do with him and vice versa. But that's the thing with, with reps and, and you have to have so much time to fit, especially if your stuff doesn't work right away or the show doesn't work or whatever. Sometimes it takes years. Like I I watched it happen with Kimmel. It took, it took Kimmel four years, five years to be good at hosting his own show. And I think even he would admit that now he's good at certain things, but he didn't know how to save jokes when they didn't work. He he wasn't standing in front of the audience. Like if you watch the tape of him in 2004 versus now, it's a different guy. But he got the reps and he figured out what he needed to do. And I I think with sports, we don't think about that enough. They'll just like we're throwing this person in, and you'll have the rare successes like Greg Olson, but most of the time you won't.
1: That's why I think it's brilliant that Brady is taking the year off before he goes to Fox. Take ten years off, and you see. So you're in the camp that he's not doing it.
2: Yeah, it's a growing camp. We have we have supplies for a couple years, <laughs> and we have campers and RVs and beds. I, yeah, I, I don't would, think we I ever would, see him.
1: I would make a wager that he does it in starting in September. If you want to wager, he's going to. do it. Is this
2: going to be one of those things that gets aggregated? Simmons says Brady will never oh, do Fox. Definitely, because I had Troy on last week, and Troy's
1: like, I spoke to Tom. He's definitely doing it. So I, I believe it when he's doing it. Because right. the he's way going that do it happened. Because he's there. He's, if you listen to his show on Sirius, he's there every week watching these games, studying everything. Like he's preparing for this job. So I think he's, hey, listen, something happened. And if something happens in his personal life, who knows with, you know, he's kids, he wants to be a dad. Arena Shaikh wants him to move. I don't know. But I think as of now, he's definitely doing it. And I think he's preparing
2: hard to do it. The reason I'm dubious is because when they announced it, it was right where the Fox up front. See, this is how you know I follow some the bigger picture okay. media stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that
2: Fox up upfront, upfront stuff. And they kinda needed something extra. And it was like, We've signed Brady and here's the number. And I don't even think the deal was done. I think they just wanted a uh Brady thing to announce. And everybody I knew in the Brady circles was like, Wow, can't believe they announced that. This isn't even and then of course he didn't end up doing the first season. Right. So that made me think how real was this? So, I don't know. I That guy's got a great life. And ultimately, it's 22 Sundays a year. You have to prepare. You have to fly to different places. I know they're flying in private. But um, but we'll see how it goes. I am dubious. I think he
1: wants to be around football. I don't think he ever wants to be away from the game. That's why I think he's going to do it, too.
2: Well, then you end up like John Elway, though. And you end up being like a GM or something, right? Or like an owner. Oh, well, he doesn't
1: want to do that. That's way That's way more work than... You know, sitting there with Kevin. I don't think I wanted to week. do it either. it was
2: yeah. like, let's get Peyton mating. I'm not sure he wanted to learn. Like, <laughs> right, right. Build it where do you stand on where Romo <laughs> is in the year of the Lord 2023? <sighs>
1: it's so funny you say that because every week now when I watch a Romo game, I'm watching it like, is he is he really as bad as everyone's saying now? Like I, I think a lot of the Romo I think a lot of it is, is a pile on thing with Romo. The thing that about Tony is he's going to be different than everyone else. You're not gonna get the Greg Olson, Chris Collinsworth, Troy Aikman thing from Tony. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. So either you like that. Here's what I wish he would do. I I wish he would not tone it down. That's not the right. I wish he'd be a little more careful when he declares something. Like he, there was, a, I don't know if it was last week or the, the, you know, like it's the second quarter and he'll say like, this is the game right here. It's a like, huge Tony, play, Jim. Huge yeah. play. Tony, save that for like five minutes left in the fourth quarter if you just did that but yeah, I, there's a hyperbole with tony that i think is I is getting worse but i think tony got screwed because i see some people at cbs went to him and said stop doing the predictions and that right. screwed up his whole thing if you remember you i'm sure you remember it because it was the page he was amazing yeah the patriot chief afc title game was he was insane he yeah. called every play he was like and, a witch Assholes on Twitter are like spoilers. Listen, it's not a movie, jerk off. Relax, it's it's not spoilers. It's a it's a sporting event. So I think someone got in his head for sure. I think he, you know, that was a big thing with him. Now he's trying not to do it. He's trying to compensate, and he's a little all over
2: the place. It's funny we don't, but Buck and Aikman are clearly the best team now.
1: So they are. It's so far and away now. Yeah, I I said that. We've had
2: moments like this with football where there was just clearly a best team. But yeah. I would not have, they'd been around for a while, you know, and I, I felt like everyone was trying to replace them with somebody else. I think, as, you know, I think back to the stuff that I used to write in the 90s and 2000s, like I used to love making fun of announcers <laughs> because they, you're stuck with them for three hours and very rarely right. are you going to be completely happy about it, you know? And it was always like, you get to know their tics. Like Sal and I always, we tease about Collinsworth on our on my podcast I like Collinsworth, but he's also been in my life for sixteen, seventeen years. Right. you know all the ticks, you know all the gimmicks, you know all the things he's going to do. i'm sure people feel that way about me who've been listening to me for oh, fifteen yeah. years. you know all the running right. jokes, you know all things right. you know I'm probably going to say this, so I think one of the one of the obstacles announcers have is the longer they go when they're in your life, you just start to get tired right. of them. I felt that way with Van Gundy, who I thought was great, but at some point, it becomes like this family member where you're like, "God damn it! Enough about the refs, man!" Hmm. Like, but see, they're gonna—they're probably gonna replay this block and charge. Like, just take a chill pill for two seconds. So, yeah. but I, I think, I, by the way, I think basketball yeah. is in worse shape than football now. With the, we'll—we'll uh, we'll see if it gets well, fixed this year because they changed some teams. But I thought last year was one of the worst announcing years we've had.
1: Well, baseball's in the worst shape by far. Since Joe Buck, I don't even know how you fix baseball. Exactly, like Like, there's no, I don't know. There's literally, like, at least with the NBA, we know Mike Breen is the voice of the NBA. MLB, there is no voice of Major League Baseball.
2: None. It's a problem. I don't know Um, how they fix it because I don't either. You can't gear it toward the casual fans because baseball has the most psychotic hardcore fans you have, right? But you can't nerd it up either because then you lose lose the casual fans. You can't make it too entertaining. But then, like, the baseball announcement that we grew up with was – I? it was almost like this alternate language where, you know, they'd be like, ah, Jimmy, there's so-and-so's up. You remember his uncle? He's a hell of a third baseman on the Indians. And then you uh, would say, like, oh, yeah, I remember watching the 1978 ALCS, three for five in game four. Uh, Ball two to Johnson. You know, and it's just yeah. like this – it's like, who is this for? What is this conversation? Well, the,
1: I think the other, the other problem baseball has is you're with your local announcers for 162 games. Yeah, then they, they go away Then they go away, and you have the national announcers. I mean, and, and especially now, I feel like, I mean, the local announcers in baseball, like you had said before with the announcers. I mean, if you think Chris Collins were at this party of your family, like the local baseball announcer who's like yeah. here in New York, like John Sterling, like, right is a cult figure now. You know, Boston has it, everywhere has it and with your local, and then you get to the most important best part of the season, they're gone, and here are national guys who don't know anything about your team.
2: Yeah, and you think like, if you're talking about where stuff's going, I do think the alternate broadcasting is going to become a bigger deal because they, they don't even know how to measure stuff anymore, right? Like right. ESPN did a press release about McAfee's show, and it's like, I got this many, whatever, and I'm like, I don't know what that means because he was already big on YouTube. His rating for whatever time slot he was in at ESPN is not as high as the old show, but then you could, you could basically twist the numbers around and say whatever you want and make it seem right. successful. But I just don't know what the metric is, and I don't think they do either. So if that's the case, give us like four teams. like Monday Night Football and the Manning cast. Manning cast is like it feels bigger than it is. And like when I did it, a million people mentioned it to me, right? But it's still less than two million people. Yeah, And the game yeah. itself can get between, like, 15 and 19 million people. Yeah. But for the most part, it's good to have the Manning cast. And it doesn't matter if it takes away a little from the Monday Night Football because it's all part of the same bowl of soup. Right. And I don't understand why, especially baseball. Like, if that's a sport where it's like, hey, Astros fans, do you want to hear your own announcers for the for this playoff game with the same camera, graphics, all that stuff, but it will be your announcers? Like, I'm sure – you would sign up for that for the Yankees, right? Of
1: course, absolutely. But that's the thing about baseball; they're always tw- like they'll do that in twenty years, probably. Like, no, like how long it took they, them to get you the never pitch? Never thought
2: they'd do the pitch clock. They did oh, it though.
1: Yeah, it took them forever. I mean, that well, should
2: Basketball's the slowest sport now,
1: right? Tell me, I want to get back to tell me why you think the NBA is in trouble with the announcers. Give me, give me something. On that I thought that last mentioned.
2: year was a bad year, and I, I think I think they had to fix some stuff, and I think Doc's going to be great. We'll see. Three men three man boosts in general i think are really hard and i've I done agree. basketball where i've done um i've done a two man and a three man and the two man was so much more fun cuz the play by play guy talks a lot or play by play woman whoever it is they talk a lot like that's a high usage rate because it's it's kind of going and going and then there's a stop or you know the change of possession or there's some way and then you kind of As the color person, you figure out how to jump in and pick your spots. There's three people now I got to worry about, well, is this guy going to jump in here? So they're talking in your headset and they're telling you. and it, it, It just feels a little less organic, which is why the teams that have been together for a long time, they have a better flow. TNT will just be like, we've selected three people that have never done a game together and they will now do the Western finals, you know, which is crazy. Well, they always um,
1: add, they added Stan Van Gundy with Farlin yeah, and Reggie Miller. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Bad idea. Um, yeah. I think, uh, I think doc is going to be excellent because people don't remember how good he was. He was good. Years ago. Yes. He was very really good. good. Yeah. And I think the JJ RJ team, I'm excited for that because I, I thought JJ showed some real flashes last year. Um, so we'll see. I it's weird to me that there's no incredible color guy for uh, NBA games.
1: Hundred percent dead on. I've always said like because I said when ESPN for some reason let Jeff go.
2: Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think I know why they let him go. Like Bill said, kills the refs all the time. Um, well, and they also it allowed them to also get rid of Mark, who I, I think I think that was a double barrel yeah where it's like we bring in doc we get rid of those two maybe we bring in Doris. but i think that was that was a whole chessboard they were putting together but they so
1: you i'm with you i don't like the three-person booth but you would think a natural fit would be harlan with jeff and stan and they can play up the brothers thing
2: oh the nba that that would be over adam silver's dead body
1: yeah that happening
2: yeah that will get aggregated damn it i'm up to like four aggregations
4: you're 100% no, we right. Will
2: not see, well, you know my story. I was supposed to do Countdown with Stan. Right. And Stern squashed it because he didn't want two Van Gundys on uh, ESPN. That's a real thing that happened. So that's how Jalen got in there. Why didn't they
1: want two Van Gundys on? What's were, the logic? Stern,
2: Stern just thought they complained about
1: the league too much. See, and I, I said this when they fight. Jeff Van Gundy loves the NBA. He's like an I NBA know. lifer. The guy's out there on the court dragging his body on alonzo morning's leg like the guy's. he loves the nba it's a ridiculous stance to take tell when you did countdown yeah was there ever i'm curious if there was ever talk or whether it was unspoken like listen no matter what we do we're not inside the nba and it sucks or did people not think that way? I'm always curious because to me, whoever's doing an ESPN pregame or halftime or countdown, yeah. whatever it's called, like you're never
2: going to be number one, no matter what. And yeah, that's got to be-, be tough. It's be- well, I was really interested in being under the hood with it because when I decided to do it, I was really excited about it because I felt like we had a chance, you know, we were doing it on Grantland, and we felt like we were at the forefront of this new way. People are talking about basketball in a bunch of different ways and it was like we can bring that to the show we can make people smarter and and uh we can just you know we we're not going to be better than inside the NBA they're the best show ever but we can still be good yeah and the thing that was just alarming was how short the segments were right and i've talked about it, this on my podcast but people don't understand how short it is and watch right. the half times i made Curtis, I badgered him to the uh, just about how annoying it was that I think he ended up writing about it when you're about the finals. The half times were like two minutes. Yeah. You know, it's like by the time you bring everyone in, you're like, I'm here with Jimmy and what you think the half. And what happens is people just go in a circle and you say your 20 second thing, it goes to the next person, next person, and then they're throwing it back. And it's like, that's not a show. That's just people yeah. trading, you know, takes that they have. They're not listening. You could, be sitting next to somebody and say anything they're not listening because they're thinking about what they're about to say so my my take like leaving that first season was like this is there's no way this will never this can never be good the way we're doing it and then they talked me to do in the second year and it was worse if you're in charge of
1: espn who would be your what would be your panel for nba countdown ideal ideal panel. how many people and who would it be because like you said, if you're going to give people two minutes, why do you need, I mean, all you need really is two people. But what would, if you're, if you're in charge of your Jimmy Pitaro, what do you do with countdown?
2: I would actually go the other way and just kind of lessen the significance of it because you're building toward the Western finals and the finals. Although they did one thing they did with the conference finals was they were doing one hour shows. Finally, that was something we really fought for like 10 years ago, but right. I don't know how you you build up to the finals and then throw away the finals and basically the commercials become more important than the finals. ESPN yeah. makes so much money and everyone's going nuts that ESPN, oh my God, what's going on at ESPN? It's like, you're talking about a company that used to make like 10 billion a year that's going to now make six. Like they're still right. making a shitload of money. It's just, they were the ATM it's, for Disney right? and they need the ATM to have as much cash in as possible. So they're grabbing commercials anywhere they want, but... Um, in terms of ideal studio shows, like I personally think Stephen A should be first take. Like I think that's their most important daily show. And um, he's the meal ticket of that show and he's super important to him, And he's great at what he does. And I just wouldn't have him on multiple platforms like that. I think it kind of reduces the effect of everywhere he goes. I really like Dwayne Wade. I thought Dwayne Wade, um, I yeah. think he's, Unfortunately, and this is one of the problems for NBA, these guys make so much money that it's not worth it for right. them to do TV. Right. Like Dwayne Wade made hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's like, oh cool, now I get to be, you know, part of ESPN studio show. Right, but I right. think I think you need real weight. Myers will be interesting. I, I'm still dubious how much he's gonna say because you know, he's gonna want another job next year. And right. You saw this happen with Danny Ainge 20 years ago. Danny was doing TV, and he was really good as a color guy. But he took a couple shots at people, and then he got the Celtics job, and one of the people he had taken shots at was Anton Walker. And then I was like, oh, shit. I, I was just yeah. talking shit about you during a playoff game two months ago, and now I'm your GM. So I'm always worried when somebody wants to coach again or be a GM. I well, always don't think, feel like I they think, they think Doc's I think Doc's going to want to be a coach, so we'll have to see how he... So know. First of all, Doc can't hold back. Right, he just can't. He's right. he's too honest. Um, but I also think he might be done.
1: I think I see he's come, gonna
2: get a feel of this life this year, and I think I could just see him being like, "Why do I want to deal with people like James Harden?" See, I thought their
1: I th- I thought the ESPN plan was use Doc for a year till, till he goes back into coaching, and then JJ Reddick's gonna get that job. That's what I thought the master plan was.
2: That would be. That's I don't interesting. think
1: they they couldn't have put JJ there yet. It would have looked bad, but I think that's what they're going to do. I I know we've gone an hour, but I got to ask you about gambling and the 30 for 30s, if you don't mind sticking around a little longer. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Okay. Did you ever think, I mean, I asked you, did you ever think we'd see ESPN where you know Stephen A. and Pat McAfee doing whatever they want? That's nothing compared to what we've seen in the gambling explosion. I mean, did you ever think, now listen, they haven't gone full-born because I still think it should be talked about during games, but just the fact that they put lines on the scroll – you know, all the FanDuel. Now, the FanDuel and DraftKings stuff, they're making money off that, but did you ever think, as someone who was writing about gambling, you know, before anyone, we'd get to where we are now because it's its really... I, I'm blown away by it, personally.
2: Interesting. I, I can see it the movement happening. Did I ever think they would be... What did Matt Bellany call them this week? Dave Portnoy's sloppy seconds with the... That's what Matt Belly wrote this week in his newsletter. But they ported sloppy seconds with their betting app. I thought right. that was funny. Right. Um No, when you go back to two thousand one was the first year I was writing for Page Two, and they wouldn't let me let me put the lines in the column.
1: Right. Right. I had that and when that I was, was huge, yeah.
2: two years yeah. just to convince them. Hey, I want to write this picks column. I used to love. um I used, there was a couple different picks columns I love, but when I was growing up, I loved Pete Axton He wrote this gambling column for Inside Sports yep. for a couple of years, and it was that was one of the things that I was like, someday I'm gonna gamble like Pete Axthelm. As a Boston
1: but, guy, did you get wind of Steve Serby's column in the Post? Oh yeah, in the Post. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used that. to
2: buy the Post on Fridays. Bad, bad, bad um,
1: Beats before Van Pelt yeah. did it. Yeah,
2: yeah. And we we had some pick stuff, and but I was I always cared, and yeah. I always felt like if I ever have my column someday, I'm gonna write a Friday and do pick all the games and do that. So anyway. I think I was the first one who had the spreads on dot com, but they never they were like, hey, tone it down. But as it as the 2000s developed, it became more and more of a thing. But then when Sal and I started doing Guess the Lines, which was 07, that was a whole thing built around gambling and people loved it. So, yeah, I feel like they eventually caught up. Fantasy and gambling were the two. Like I used to do fantasy stuff. I would write maybe one, two pieces a year. And I remember the first time it was like August, 2001, I was doing a fantasy football preview and they were like, what are you writing about this week? And I was like doing a fantasy football, I'm doing like an idiot's guide to fantasy football. I think that's what it was. They're like, you're writing about fantasy football. Cause the attitude was like, nice. it's like dungeons and dragons shit. Like don't, yeah. nobody wants to read that. I'm like, people want to yeah. read this. So I did that. I did a running diary of my fantasy draft. So gambling fantasy, I was on the ground floor of it, but I always felt like, it was people like you and me. That's what we cared about.
1: But I never thought I'd see like on an NFL pregame show where they're like, here's, you know, Boomer Sison's parlay of the day. Like, I never thought the NFL would get to that point. Even I know um, it's wild. They do it on TNT. They cut into the middle. It's like the, it's like three minutes left in the first quarter. And they cut I to know. like Barkley and Ernie Johnson's studio. And Barkley's like, here's my fan duel. I'm like, I-, I, I can't believe this is it. That's what I mean by did you ever think it would get to this level?
2: No, actually, I didn't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think
2: gambling has hit a point on the mainstream stuff where it was like fantasy 12 years ago when they were trying to awkwardly shoehorn fantasy into the content. Right. And they would say, you know, like Boomer would be on the studio. Oh, that's good for tom's fantasy team you know and they you, you just tell like they were like i'm trying to be hip with my fantasy reference <laughs> right but now it feels organic right. when people do fantasy yeah yeah the gambling yeah. feels the same we're like oh somebody's happy with that cover but you can tell they don't care right because barkley to me like i feel like he's betting on all this stuff like
1: oh yeah no I, doubt. I, to, no to doubt. me
2: it's legitimate with him it was funny hearing jalen yeah. do it because i knew he didn't care so right. jalen's like here are i so-and-so single-game parlay props. I'm like, I know you don't care about this. But uh, I think there are people that aren't degenerates like us. Absolutely. And I,
1: I, I hate the, the argument because I'll say, like, like I think if, if a game is 27-23 and the spread is four and a half and a team is driving, like, I think they should flash something on the screen. And whenever I say that, I always get, do you know it's only like 1% of the audience that cares about it? I'm like, okay, well, it's let's say, true. first of all, I don't think that's true. But let's say that is true. Who
2: gives a shit? cater to that audience (laughs) al al michaels was the best at this forever hinting at oh there's some people who are very happy that that field goal missed and he was always talking this code and that was one of the reasons we loved al michaels i think it's funny like what people don't realize about just how shit happens in life is how much happens because somebody noticed something their kids either liked or was doing and if you read like I think it was Wall Street Journal wrote this huge piece about how ESPN did the ESPN bet thing, right? Right, and right. I read it, yeah, yeah. In that piece, and it was in there twice, was how Bob Iger, who was anti-gambling, anti-gambling, anti-gambling. Right. I have a story about him getting mad at me once about something that I'm not going to tell because it'll get aggregated. What um, a tease. That's ridiculous yeah, that you would do that. Uh, yeah, But in that story... It said he became fascinated when he noticed his two adult sons were on a gambling app all the time watching games. Right. And that was when he told Jimmy, hey, maybe we should get into this. And I was like, that's hilarious. It took that, your two kids using right. a gambling app for you to realize? Because well, they should have been, they blew this. They should have been in the forefront. They should have bought DraftKings 100%. five years ago. They should have been on the ground floor. They're yeah. way late. And I think that, I really think they've handled it badly.
1: And that's why they got into bed with McAfee, because their kids were like going to the... I think it, was maybe, it might have been Burke Magnus or someone else. Oh, my kids love McAfee. I kept hearing about McAfee from my kids, and now right. there's McAfee. Now, if you were interviewing you, and you said, I have a story, but I'm not going to tell it, how would you handle it? Would you try to push you to get the story
2: out? That Sadness, probably, like a sad look on my face, and um, some can disappointment. You, can you I, tell us I had a good relationship with Agra though. And until the tail end when all of a sudden I was on my way out, but I always thought he was a genuine sports fan. And I really do think he cared about like elevating all the different pieces of the company, which I think, you know, that that's something that seems to be a lost art in a bunch of different places. Yeah. Right. Where if you're just looking at, I, I look at like how the athletic, when those guys came in and they were like, we're going to fucking destroy newspapers and there's not going to be a newspaper standing. And then they sold out as fast as they could. Yep. And then yep. the times by <laughs> the athletic, and then they basically dump everybody in their sports section, replace them with the athletic, which um, I don't know how that's possible when you have a union, but, um, but I think about shit like that, where it was like those guys, they built that whole thing just so they could sell it. They didn't care about, you know, is, is this going to go down a bad road or people are lots of people going to lose jobs, stuff like that. It was just about, we can turn this into something. If, if that starts happening in content all over the place, we're in trouble. I always, I mean, I've been
1: at SI writing a daily column since 07. And then the pie, and I always feel like I always get these like, I feel like there's these times where like this is a weird time or like something like something's going on or like it's something's got to change. I'm in that time now. Like I feel like with you know all the aggregation, there's five billion podcasts. I don't know how they exist, and everyone wants to move to YouTube and video, video, video. I'm like, I feel like we're in a time that's a little fuzzy and like something's got to you know you got Twitter's a disaster, and I know there's been things the last couple of weeks like. All these news organizations, their traffic's down because Twitter's not bringing it in anymore. I feel like right now is a time where it's a little murky and something's going to happen.
2: Well, I think the thing that's scary to me, as somebody who, um you know, has been in charge of content stuff for a while now, dating back to Grantland, it's it's where are the young people going to come from, like the next generation? And how, they're all on TikTok. How, it's, it's well, scary. yeah. How do you scout them? How does somebody right. like me scout them? How do you find? How do you find somebody that you think has potential? There's way less outlets for writing. Um, there's a million kajillion podcasts. The YouTube stuff, like the, son, the stuff that my son likes, I'm always like, kinda stunned by, or it's just somebody like on YouTube shouting out his top 10 dunks. Yeah. But these are the people that he knows. And I'm like, what does that mean? So those people, my son's gonna be 23 in eight years. Are these the people he's gonna be consuming as a young adult? I agree with you. I, I think it's the murkiest it's ever been. It felt very, even all the way through the two thousands into the first part of the two thousand tens, it felt like there was some sort of infrastructure in place. I, by the way, mm-hmm. I'm not scared of this. This is the way life goes. Cause yeah, people yeah. felt this way in the late nineties with the internet. Yep. Where it was like, mm-hmm. Nope, newspapers and magazines. This is what we have to have in local TV shows and the internet. That, that's scary. That's this wild, wild West. It'll never work. So I'm, I'm not against it. I just think how do you find talent? How do you elevate it? How do you teach them right from wrong? How do you find people to manage that talent? How do you elevate them? How do you do that? I talked about this when I was at Bloomberg last week. Um, how do you have an office culture if people aren't coming in the office every day? Like, I'm sure we don't even have
1: an office anymore.
2: Yeah. When, do, when you started out, you were going to an office every day, right?
1: Every day. Every and day. And didn't you
2: have like three mentors that you talk to and you learn shit from? Yeah. Who were the mentors? I mean, well, when I, I mean, when I first started, I was
1: like an editorial assistant. I did nothing. Right. But then, when I, when I um, started having a column, I got more from like someone like you, and uh, someone, and I would, I would see, I saw what was going on with the convergence right. of like pop. So, when culture, you were an editorial
2: assistant, nobody took you under your under their wing or anything. I
1: wouldn't say nobody took me under my wing. But you, I learned from like the right, like you, you remember Doctor Z,
2: of course. Oh, my God. I have both of those so, books. Okay. So the, the normal thinking man's and the new thinking man's. I, I always used to say this. One of my first
1: jobs at SI was I was Dr. Z's bitch. That was my job. Because, I remember you talking about this. But Dr. Z was a huge guy. That was like he, an important job. But here's the thing. He didn't know anything about the internet. Yeah. He wrote for the internet and he was phenomenal. Yeah, at writing for the internet. But he didn't know anything. And when I say he didn't know about it, this is what I mean. He would write a mailbag every week, okay? Everyone's, you know, that was like the first thing people on the internet did was write a mailbag. He didn't know how to get emails. So my job was to go through all his emails, pick out a dozen of them, fax them to him, and then that's how he would do his mailbag column. Wow. And then he would call me on a telephone landline and say what are people saying about the column? What are people complaining about? <laughs> Landline. He, he also did not want to be, the rule with him was you were not, he you did not, you weren't allowed to edit him. And if you were going to yeah. edit something, you had to tell him every single edit. So he went through a bunch of editors because they couldn't handle it. And I don't know what happened. I, I wish I could remember, but it came to a point where the person who was the boss at that time of SI.com, Stephanie Kaufman, who's still there, she's a mentor. No one knows who she is, but no one knows Sports Illustrated more than Stephanie Kaufman. And she came to me and she's like, Dr. Z said, you're the only person he'll deal with. I think it was wow. because I didn't get mad when he got mad. I don't know. I come yeah. from like a big, loud Italian family. So people right. scream and curse at each other. And then five minutes later, it's like nothing happened. So I've told this story a million times. Like I, one day I edited something. He called me screaming and yelling. I can't do this anymore. This is bullshit. You didn't call. Why did you change that? We got to figure that this is not going to work. Boom. And he hangs up the phone. Screaming. Five minutes later, phone rings. I pick up. Hello? Jets, Browns. The Jets are plus five. Who do you like in that game? Like, that's how it was with him. So that's how I, I've said this a million times. When I do a podcast or I write a column or on Twitter and someone says to me, you don't know what you're talking about. You're an asshole. You're a fat idiot. Blah, blah, blah. It rolls right off my back because I, I dealt with him. And I saw what people would write to him. I mean, they wrote yeah. the most vile stuff to him because he had the Chargers 24 in his power ranking instead of 26. Like, it was insane. So that's what I remember from, like, the early, 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 early days.
2: Well, and that's... I'm glad you brought up Dr. Z because that's like a good example of why I don't care about any of this stuff anymore at this point in my life because right. I think about some of the people I grew up reading, and they felt like the biggest people in the world, and they were so incredibly important to me. And then you know, they retire or they die or whatever. Nobody talks about them again, yeah. you know? Like yeah. Dr. Z was the seminal football guy of my entire first 30 years of my life. When he would have his all pro teams and it came out in SI, it was like the single most important 15 minutes of the week. I felt the same way about gamuts. I felt the same way yeah. about every oh, yeah. Bob Ryan piece. You go on down the line, anytime Roger Angel wrote anything for the New Yorker and all these people, you know, they, they end up forming how you think about sports. Absolutely. And then a new generation comes and then everyone forgets about the old generation. I have this office that I moved to houses and I have this like huge bookshelf with a bunch of my books and the books are really important to me because those are the reasons that I'm doing what I'm doing for a living because I read these books and yep. these people were my friends and somebody like Dr. Z whatever he said about football, that was the most important thing anyone in my life was saying about football. Yeah. He'd asked them about gambling, all that stuff. So
1: I, I was so impressed too, because he wasn't a phony about it. Like he literally watched every play of every game. He's and would grade. He yeah. So what he used to do is he used to, I think cut out the box scores of every game in a newspaper and glue them into a notebook. So he had every box score of every game. And I remember, I'll never forget this as long as I live the, the, person who was in charge of um not payroll expenses at sports illustrate at the time was the sweetest nicest most gentle woman you'll ever meet like you, like just picture the, like the perfect sweetest individual he calls uh, he calls me up one day i won't say the woman's name but he goes so and so is the devil i go z <laughs> what what is what's the problem they won't make. They won't let me expense the two hundred dollars I spent on glue this year to glue the box scores oh to the notebook. Two hundred dollars. It was like he would glue every box score into notebooks. Jesus. I'm like, she's well- the nicest woman in the world. You're calling her the devil. It was so. That's the other thing too. I always say this. Like, I just felt like everything was so much more fun back then. Like, you know, now if he called someone and fought with them about expensive yeah, he'd glue probably, he'd get fired
2: right? there'd probably so, be an HR bet yeah. well, so you said gambling what was the other thing you, we had to bring up I want to like, ask you about you know, the 30 for 30s
1: so, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll wrap it on this um, it's funny you talked about like, when you used to write point spreads back in the day you, the people would say do you have to write about this Do you, so what I used to get when I wrote Hot Clicks back in the day when I started first started writing about wrestling oh my god yeah. it's like code red at sports it was like this isn't sports yeah. I'm like you know me, anyway I loved your Andre the Giant doc um, on HBO I thought it was phenomenal thank you and that was jason he did the last dance there you go yeah there you go and i know you were supposed to do it on vince mcmahon yeah and for like the couple of weeks i know his interview i'm like i gotta ask about the vince i've got it and then this morning i actually saw a clip where you talked about it so yeah the Vince that, that McMahon like five doc days ago yeah is happening it is happening
2: oh yeah it's okay. fucking do we, awesome do we know when or any any it's, it's gonna, ETA? i think it's gonna be the first part of next year and okay. uh, it's Chris Smith is directing it. Who's, I don't know if he's one of the five best documentary directors or one of the best three or whatever, whatever short list that's on, he's on it. And, uh, we spent a lot of time on it and I don't want to say too much, but did you have access to,
1: did you have access to Vince?
2: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we had access. Cause that's, know, rare.
1: From, that's rare. That's
2: rare. Well, that was the initial conceit of it. So I don't want to say too much, but I will say that, um, I I I think it's has a chance to be pretty spectacular. Can you tell
1: me is it going to be like one two hour thing? Is it going to be a series of like five one hour episodes? Do you know that like how long it's going to be? Because Vince, you could probably do twenty hours.
2: Yeah, it's 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 a few parts. Okay, excellent. I'm pretty passionate about this. Like I, you know, I think people pump, they add parts or they make this stuff longer than it needs to be because, you know. Honestly, that's how you get paid more when to do a documentary. Um, right. I'm anti. Like I, I'm like pretty crazy about. I want these things to be. I've been involved in a lot of them. I want them to be the exact right length because um, I can never figure it out with my column. My column was always too long. But I think with documentaries, <laughs> like, um, shaping a documentary is a lot like writing a column, and a lot figuring out. Like I love that paragraph, but I got to cut that out because this moves better if I take that out. And with documentaries like the if somebody's doing it correctly, um they're like amazing pieces of art, you know and 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 it's not just the director, it's like you there's a couple editors, but they usually have one like incredible editor, which we have for this um but it's it's a lot of people that have to be involved, and there's real t l. c and you can't think of it like, um oh, we can stretch this to six hours this could be 6 hours instead of 4. I think that's crazy. This yeah. one is about Vince McMahon's life and and wrestling, so obviously it can't be 2 hours.
1: Right. Do you when it's over, do you think Vince will be happy with it or not happy with it?
2: I don't know. I don't know. I he's certainly he's been somebody that's been in my I would never speak for Vince. Um he's been in my life for my entire life. I can't I literally cannot remember my life without him being in it. So right. um I think if you look at him from the You know, strip away all the other stuff. And you just talk about um, the last 50 years that he had. It's a pretty good topic for a documentary.
1: And just the fact, you know, there's so many layers to it. Just what he's done with wrestling. But then you hear about like the quirks. Like I know he doesn't want people nodding their heads in meetings. He doesn't, you know, if you see, he gets mad if people sneeze. There's all these little, you know, fascinating stuff documentary subject so looking well, forward
2: we we dealt with this with andre the part of the problem with wrestling is it it's talk about a game of telephone like there will be stories where the story yeah. over the years turns into i'm guilty of it like i i saw snooker jump on Backlund and miss i watched that live and before youtube where there was no way to see that clip like in my head, it was a 40 foot cage, right? And he climbed up and he kept climbing. And now you watch it, it's like 15 feet. It's still probably the most exciting moment of my life, but it's not 40 feet. But as the years pass, the 15 feet become 40 feet in your head. And I think, especially with the wrestling, which is hyperbole and embellishment and blowing everything out, um, it's really hard to sift through. And we had a lot of trouble with Andre about even like the WrestleMania three match, just okay hogan's telling us now that andre he didn't know if andre's gonna kick out or not how true is that so then you have to really dive into it and then vince is like well vince is also saying that's true and then you you know but yeah, yeah. it's just it's wrestling is uh is a tough space but honestly yeah, yeah. all these places are you saw it with the last dance like everybody's a hero in their own narrative everybody's got their own version of a story and that's part of how you make a documentary
1: I think, listen, there's two ways to go with a doc. I think you can do it where you're giving people new information. You know, I think about the, um, I forgot the name, the OJ doc that ESPN did. I thought it was yeah. brilliant because I thought at that point, I was like, who does it, what is left to, not, what don't people know about this? And you learned a lot. Yeah. And with the Jordan one, it was like, okay, it's COVID. Entertain me. I don't care if you're telling me the truth. Just, enter, you know, I think you go the entertain. I've always said my all-time favorite 30 30 is the you just because of how entertaining it is. But I like the ones that are teaching me stuff as well. I think you go either way with it. And Vince, I think I can see Vince being really tough to do because, like you said, there's just so much there, and you don't know what's what. OJ was supposed to be the last thirty for thirty, right? Uh, Yeah, I think I remember that. Or
2: yeah, I was still there when we were developing it and fighting for it to be multi parts, and we wanted it to be this big kind of exclamation point because. I mean, the whole history of 30 for 30 is nuts because they really did want it to go away. I mean, they didn't want to do it. Skipper was resolute why? that he wanted why? to do it. There's why? just a lot of people in the company that are like, why are we doing this? This is 15 million bucks. Like, this is. They're so know. good. But they like, had spent, it's coming off of an era where they were wasting a lot of money on entertainment stuff. When I would say, there. not
1: even exaggerating, like 95% of 30 for 30s are awesome.
2: Oh, well, like, that's great to hear. But we, true, we did but- that first batch and then they were like, we're done. We're changing it to ESPN films presents. And we had to spend the next year making a business plan and a business case and doing all these different things. And I, I had a lot of cachet at the time, but I had to use like all my cachet to try to convince them yeah. because we were like, people were running documentaries and people are saying to us like, that was a great 30 for 30 last night. And it wasn't even a 30 for 30. It was like, we, right. we won, we built a brand. Like it's the right. hardest thing to do. So, um, they eventually greenlit the second one, but it was supposed to end in 2016. All
1: right, let me let you before I, last thing before I let you go. Three of my all-time favorite SI people work at The Ringer: Matt Dollinger, Mallory Rubin, Ben Glicksman. Right, three awesome people who I worked with at SI. Can you power rank them for me?
2: Well, Mallory Rubin's one in any power rankings. There you go. And I don't think Glicksman and Dollinger would. <laughs> Mallory Rubin, whatever question you would ask me with her power ranking, she would she would be my one. We just, we've been 10 years together. I remember the first time we hired her, she moved to LA and I knew, I knew she was going to be good and she was only an editor. And I was doing basketball. And so sometimes I would come in the office. Um, after the show, or I go get something or whatever. And like, I'd come at like eight thirty 30 night and she would be like the only one there. I'm like, oh man, this is. Oh yeah, she works too is, hard. She works too hard. Maniac. This yeah, one's yeah. a maniac. This is one after yeah. my own heart. Does she still um, have like
1: all kinds of candies and snacks in her? Oh all yeah, her, pop yeah, chips yeah.
2: and like, you know, different candies. Yeah. But yeah. we never, when we were forming The Ringer, never thought she would be a podcaster. Because she was always going to be like the plan was Sean was going to run the ringer and then Mallory would take it over and right. and uh, and then all of a sudden Thrones happened and next thing you know she's the queen of queen of nerd yes. culture.
1: I'm not I'm not surprised because she was awesome at SI and the first time I realized I like that's my kind of person. Is she called me an asshole in the middle of the office because. We're, it was like it was like a big discussion about like fantasy. We were playing, we were doing a fantasy league, and she was partners with someone, which I think is bush league. There should be no partners in fantasy. That's a separate yeah. discussion. And I kept referring to the team as as like the guys' team, and she just turned around. She's like, "I'm also a partner, asshole." And I'm like, "I like her." That's it. Right. The there. thing,
2: the re, the, there's a lot of reasons mm. for her, her success, but it's instructive just in general. Like people always ask, like, what are the secrets, and you know, there are no secrets. But um, yeah. one thing is. One thing that helps is do you genuinely give a shit about what you're doing? And I, I feel like I've had been doing this for 12 and a half years now. We've worked with a lot of awesome people and the ones that stood out or the ones that really succeeded. Were always the ones that gave a shit and for anybody to think like they can get into this business or whatever business and be like, and not, not like really care about, what they're doing Whatever their domain is And put the real time into it Those are the people that win So it's like, you might not want to win You might just be happy Doing okay yeah. But Somebody like Mallory Like she really gives a shit And that's why she's successful Other than Nine other reasons
1: Yeah She's great And I appreciate this This was great Really for the first time uh, You were very generous with your time So I appreciate it Thanks for I can't doing believe this. you didn't
2: ask me about Mike and the dog Well I, listen, That's the I whole a bunch reason of... My podcast exists
1: Is it? Yeah. Why? Because you, you saw that you listened to them and decided this is what you want to do or like how, how did, what do you no, mean? The I whole was r-
2: always like, there's another way to do radio and Mike and Mike and the dog have stumbled onto the formula and that's the radio. I want to hear that. Or I want to hear Howard right. Stern with his friends. But like right. the radio that I grew up in with Boston was this confrontational, you know, um, people blow hard, basically blow hard radio. Yeah. I was like, I, know, I listen like, I-
1: that. I'd have you on and we can do an hour just on Mike, the Mad Dog and Howard Stern if you want. Like I could, I I would, I can well, go, well, those I were have the st- two,
2: but it, but it was yeah. like, why don't more people do this? So when, when I finally got the podcast, the one thing I knew, and I think I even, even written about it two years before was like, I'm doing guest lines with Cousins out. I know people will like this. It's going to work. Right. And the back and forth of it, it's all because of those guys. That's what we listened to. Both of Sal and I love those guys and guest lines sounds like Mike and the dog.
1: My favorite is when they would guess the ratings on Mondays. Guess the ratings oh, the, was incredible. That was the because the way it would work is for people who don't know. So, Dog would always quiz Mike, and he'd be like, "Okay, Sunday, late, four twenty-five, bad weather on the East Coast, <laughs> right. Cowboys Giants. Keep in mind, snow." And Mike would yeah. go twelve point three, and Doug. Mike right on the button
2: 16.8. Like Mike was always right. Like it didn't matter how off he was. Mike had it. Well, so it was Mike. Yeah, you you told that 99% right. There was the 1% of when Mike made his guess, he was positive he was right. <laughs> it was like he was like fucking Karnak. <laughs> he would be like, "Oh, okay, San Fran uh, yeah. 14.3." Yeah. And it'd be like, "Ah, 14.2, Mike close though." I loved I love guess the ratings. I loved anytime they got weird. I loved when the Oscars were coming up, Oscar nominations came out and dog would be upset. Somebody to get nominated. It's interesting that dog is the higher profile. One out of the two. Now I was going to ask you,
1: what do you think about the dog Renaissance? It's like a second career he's having now.
2: Not surprised at all. Um, I think when on first take, you have to come in as some form of character to really succeed. And, uh, And And he's not a character. That's the the funny thing. Yeah. But But himself is the character. Yeah. Right. But for most people, they're like, who's this guy? And he's just being dog, the guy we've known forever. But I'm happy that I still feel like there's one last act for Francesa on shows like that. Um, I, you know, I just think he was on his own for a while without dog. And sometimes you develop bad habits. And um, I still they're, they're still the goats. I still have the number one
1: when when i found out Doug was going to be, be uh, doing first take a year ago whatever a year and a half ago I, I remember saying to people like it's gonna be fascinating to see what the guy in montana or vegas or like illinois who have no idea what they have no yeah. idea what they're in for and it took i think it took people a while to get used to it. like you know in this industry if you like pronounce an athlete's name wrong it's like sacrilege people flat i'm like he literally doesn't say any name he doesn't right. say my name right. he doesn't say any name correctly like this is not shtick. this is th- this is why we love him. like you have to either go along for the ride or just get off, but to act like it's disrespectful because he's saying a name wrong, like no, you don't get
2: it at all it's so i mean it's so true i'm hitting that point now i'm I'm starting to mess up names a little more. We had in Boston we had yeah. Eddie and growing up who was never really that good, but as he got older, he just was mangling names left and right. I was like, oh my yeah. God, yeah. this is becoming a cautionary tale. But yeah. it does happen. But yeah. yeah, Mike and the Mad Dog. Shout out to them. All right. We'll
1: we'll do, we'll do. We've got to do a show like just a, a pilot one day if you have nothing going on, even though you always have something. Just on Mike and the Mad Dog and Howard. I would love to do it with you.
2: If you want to do like a roundtable Mike and the Mad Dog show with like three other people who love Mike and the Mad Dog, I would definitely do that. All right. Maybe uh, I wrote maybe we'll the diary run, and I think Mike liked it. I think so. Because I did the running diary of them in 06. I listened well, to you, show like, the show for five oh, hours. Weren't you the only person he followed on Twitter for a while? He, he followed like three people, and it was he like he asked me to. He asked me to replace Dog. It was me and one other person.
1: And did, I it get, to the other, did it get? Did it ever come? Person. He, they they did a couple of Stephen A. He said he wanted. He said he wanted Stephen no, A. No, to replace Dog.
2: It wasn't Stephen A. It was it was somebody 09 range. Did was did it? I go Eagle? In? I think it was Ian Eagle. Maybe. Did it go anywhere though? The talks to replace Dog. No, I was I signing with ESPN. I was like doing great. So but there's no call- chance of it happening. He called me and it was great. It was perfect. Mike. Cause he was, he, he was basically, he was coming to me with this offer. I wouldn't be able to refuse to replace dog and move to New York. And on paper, <laughs> you know, it was a smart idea by him, but I was like, I'm, you know, I got 30 for 30 coming out. And I'm about to sign a new contract with them and my books coming out and probably not.
1: Would have been fascinating to hear the fan audience respond to the Boston sports guy on a daily basis.
2: You know, so dog, like he had that giants thing. Yeah. That they kind of navigated. Right. Cause he kind yeah. of, he kind of hated when the Yankees did and Mets did well, because he was always pro giants, but that, yep. that always worked. But yeah, it would have been interesting. Yeah. So, oh, All right, Bill,
1: thanks a lot. Appreciate it. I'll get you back All on right. for a Mike and the Mad Dog round table for sure. That'll All be right.
2: fun. Thanks, Jimmy. Good. Uh, thanks. Good for good. Uh, good pod. I'm glad I probably didn't get into trouble and thanks for having me on.
1: We'll see what the aggregators do.
2: Yeah, we'll find out.
1: Thanks, Bill. Take care.
3: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer... Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
0: Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
4: Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious.
1: All right, joining me now, as he does every week, for our Train of Thoughts segment from WFAN Radio in New York, SNY TV in New York, my buddy Sal Akata. Sal, how are we doing this week?
5: Very well, thank you. How are you?
1: I'm good. I got a tweet or an email from a listener who was upset that like, we didn't get into your house hunting last week, because two weeks ago you said you had your NFL Sunday blown off because you had to go house hunting in Jersey. So have you have you found a house?
5: We have not found a house okay. yet. Guess go. what's There's on the, the docket again on Saturday? More house hunting.
1: Yeah, but a Saturday is okay. Yeah, but you're not watching still, college football.
5: No, I don't care about college football, but oh. still, it's like the one day because NFL, I mean, it's a work day, Jimmy. You know, it's a grind. You're betting these games, it's very stressful. I need an right. off day. So my one off day now is Saturday, and that's look at house day, you know? And I got to not- commute two hours there, two and a half hours back.
1: I think that's the issue If you were looking at houses on Long Island You'd be okay but you gotta schlep to Jersey That's the problem
5: Yeah well because Long Island is just Unlivable right now for me yeah. You're you're in a nice spot in Nassau I Like anything in Nassau County The taxes are absurd Still the traffic oh, yeah. from Nassau to the city Is a disaster
1: right. Um. um Alright so there's that update I got a bunch of topics here to get into with you. I want to just start with this. I don't know if you've seen a lot of it because it's it's mainly been a Twitter thing. But can we leave the poor Charger fan alone? Have you seen this poor woman who went viral?
5: Yeah, I, I didn't. Like I saw the video because even if we have a TV on in the studio during the radio show, it just reruns highlights and stuff. So I've seen it a million times. I know who you're talking about, but I don't know why they kept showing them.
1: Well, because we live in this time where like, it just can't be you see something and you move on. People like investigating this poor woman to see if she's a true Chargers fan, people, NFL paid actor, all this bullshit. Then they found an old photo of her and she's wearing a Vikings jersey. And then they're like, see, she's a fraud because God forbid you're like two teams. I read that. I saw a tweet that said her kid played for a football team and the football team was the Vikings, and that's why I, then there was something coming out where she was a Vikings fan. She lived in Minnesota for 12 years. Now she can we
5: just leave the woman alone for Christ's sake? Who, yeah, why for why do we give a shit?
1: I don't understand this one. Like, this one, one kid, I don't.
5: She, she's a fan who had fun at the game, who was re- into the Chargers. Like, who gives a shit beyond that?
1: Yeah, like I get having fun with it, but like, do we need to investigate her life? It's ridiculous. Has she
5: spoken? Like, are people interviewing her?
1: She was on the McAfee show on Tuesday. And people are trying to say she's a fraud and she's a liar because they found her in a Vikings jersey. So who cares if she was wearing a Vikings jersey? Oh, my God. People are nuts. No. I mean, it's I, just. They, they it, it's really so are nuts.
5: I don't. I couldn't give a shit less about that. Good, for I her give her a shit from
1: the be. standpoint of leave her alone.
5: Right. Speaking right, because of. Now, no, because they're jealous of the attention she got. Yeah. And they're trying to shoot it down, right? I'm assuming that's what people want well, no, tr- to
1: do. but they're trying to, like, people want to say, like, the NFL paid her. She's like a paid actor. Like, the NFL, you know, the NFL set up Travis, you know, the, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift set up by the NFL. This woman set up by the, the NFL doesn't need any help.
5: They don't need any help. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Yeah, they paid somebody right. to go there and act so they could shoot on camera. I mean, come on.
1: Right. People are out of their minds.
5: Yeah.
1: All right. Speaking of people out of their minds, Elon Musk. So now there's going to be a $1 a year charge for Twitter. Have you seen this?
5: I have not. No.
1: <clears throat> it's going to tr- it's they're starting an experiment in New Zealand and the Philippines. You have to pay a dollar a year to tweet or retweet. If you don't want if you don't have to pay and you can still read Twitter, but if you want to tweet and retweet you have to pay a dollar a year. Okay. I'll pay the dollar. I'll pay the dollar a year. How about you?
5: Yeah, I mean, I guess when it comes to that point, I I'm, I'm, you know, I probably will have to. I think my boss would be mad if I don't. But why
1: $1? Again, because Elon Musk is a weirdo.
5: A year. $1 a year. Yeah. Like, how many millions of people are on Twitter? Do we know? I don't know. Well, I, I guess my point is, like, if you take a dollar from everybody who's on there that uses it, maybe it adds up to, you know, a certain amount of millions. I yeah, guess. I, just- I, I don't know.
1: I just found it fascinating that that's the charge. One like if he charged five dollars a month to use Twitter, I would pay it, right? But it's $1 right. a dollar year, right?
5: To, to your point, the people that use it, <clears throat> that kind of need it for what they do on a daily basis, are going to pay regardless. Can you imagine so the people
1: who, who use it for business purposes and it's a dollar a year, and they're going to try to like expense it <laughs> eight, eight cents this <laughs> month for Twitter? All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. another thing I've jotted down here I'm going to make a claim right now the Bucks creamsicle uniforms with the helmet of the pirate I think it's a pirate is the single greatest uniform in the history of sports
5: Uh, I'm going to disagree with that go ahead I don't hate it but I also think they're kind of overrated
1: well you're wrong that's okay.
5: I love the old. Did you see the? Well, you did the Giants Sunday night throwback uniforms. I Are love. You're
1: those. gonna you're gonna compare a plain white uniform to the creamsicle.
5: The, the old school Giants logo on the yeah I yeah. Mean, you're
1: gonna compare you're gonna compare the word Giants on a helmet to the pirate.
5: How about how about the old Seahawks uniforms, like the Steve Largent era uniforms?
1: I like those, but not as much.
5: Are um, we just sticking NFL? <clears throat> You know, well, uh, baseball.
1: Listen, I—I'll tell you, my favorite baseball was when the White Sox wore the shorts in the seventies. I love those. I love those. The Astros had good ones with the ugly colors, the orange and all that stuff.
5: The old school Pirates with their black hat with the yellow stripes—that was around. great.
1: That was, great. and it's I love the, the Phillies. Beans. The Phillies with you the know, baby blues.
5: That's those are my favorite. You know, I, I can't even say that as a Mets fan, but the Phillies, the dark, you know, the maroon hat with the baby blues that to me i think is the best uniform in sports
1: i I, the creamsicle with that helmet is so good so good it's
5: good you like it better than the charger powder blues
1: i do i do but the charger powder blues are great i don't understand why the bucks don't wear those why they aren't those are not their current uniforms makes no sense to me yeah i don't
5: know if i love it
1: (laughs) um what else do i have jotted down oh this, will you read the Britney Spears book? No. I there, need some. Is there
5: an audible version of it that I can make? There is. If, if, she, if she does, she do it or no?
1: No, you know who does it. The actress who? from Dawson's Creek, Michelle Williams.
5: Oh, I'm familiar with her. Didn't she marry uh, Heath Ledger?
1: Yeah, correct.
5: If she's a great actress. Yes. Then maybe I would listen to it. Did you? Are you have any interest in this? Do You have any info on it?
1: I won't read the book, but I'm fascinated because all this stuff about Justin Timberlake came out that he got her pregnant. She had an abortion.
5: And oh, then, like, he, my he, God.
1: He cheated on her you know, while they were together. I can't see I, your reaction blows my mind.
5: With who? Who'd she cheat with? Or he cheat with?
1: I think all that's come out so far is that she wrote in her book that he cheated on her with a celebrity. First of all, the over-under on women Justin Timberlake has gotten pregnant is probably four and a half. He's.
5: I would go a, over.
1: I mean, he, he's a pop star. I know, N- but none of this is surprising. Yes, it is. You don't think? Oh it's my god! How are you? Su-
5: what he got Britney Spears pregnant?
1: Well, l- let's take it one step. Let me go for the cheating. I'd be more surprised if you told me he didn't cheat. Okay, if right. you're a celebrity and athlete, you're cheating. So just m- move that, push that aside. Now,
5: you think he cheats on Jessica Biel?
1: He did. They caught him. No. Don't you yeah, remember dude? that whole? You don't remember that whole? Se- well, wait. I shouldn't say that. I don't want to. They caught him. He was shooting a movie, and the paparazzi caught him with a woman sitting on his lap, or him sitting on the woman's lap, and he had his wedding ring off. And then he had to publicly apologize.
5: Oh, I did not. I know. I didn't see yeah. that.
1: And the getting Britney Spears pregnant. Like, how is that surprising?
5: I mean, I because I, I look at them as like young kids at the time. You would think they'd be responsible being that they're celebrities. Like, Oh,
1: you know? my God. Are you I'm serious?
5: Naive. I admit yeah. I'm naive, but, you
1: know. You thought they'd I, be responsible.
5: I I mean, you'd think in that type of situation, but
1: no. You're funny. I mean, I mean is it that the real to world to
5: be somewhat responsible?
1: You, you've gotten to know a lot of athletes over the years. Athletes and celebrities are not responsible. <laughs>
5: Right, but if you tell me about Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears now or 10 years ago, yeah, I'm thinking like teen years. Like, how old were they when they first started dating? Who knows? Yeah, but I, I, I mean, would think that they're younger, maybe a little, yeah. you know, more cautious, but, well, whatever.
1: All right. Um, maybe
5: maybe we'll read that book.
1: They, <laughs> they, that's all it <laughs> took. All it took was Justin Timberlake getting her pregnant
3: <laughs> in Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury
0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
4: Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious.
1: In a couple of weeks, there's going to be anarchy in the NFL. Because in week nine, what are we in now? We'll come up on week seven, correct? Yeah. In week nine, you know the Dolphins play the Chiefs in what will be the game of the year. Where? You ready? Mexico. Frankfurt, Germany at 9.30 in the morning.
5: I mean, that's so
1: People are going to lose their shit when they realize that in 2 weeks. I can't so, wait.
5: It's so it's so stupid. It's so Dolphins
1: stupid. Chiefs 9:30 NFL Network Frankfurt Germany.
5: Thank you NFL for catering to the people who don't give a shit the way that we do about your prod- or like product. We all, all we do is give everything we've had for however long it's been and yet you continue to spit in our face by putting these games on at 9:30 in the morning. Like
1: and you'll be house hunting, probably. And
5: I'd rather see the game, forget about even what time it's on. Like, that's a game I want to watch in Miami or in Kansas City. That's right. a bigger issue.
1: I agree with that a thousand percent. You need the atmosphere. You need atmosphere, yeah. 100%. I mean, not that there's much our atmosphere in Miami, but Arrowhead would be tremendous.
5: Hey, a night game, if that game were at night in Miami, you don't know. I mean, Miami's finally back up, one of the top right. teams, that offense. I'd like to see it.
1: So how are you, will you be able at 930 to watch that in peace?
5: I don't fucking know. What, I have not watched one of these 9 a.m. games yet. So odds are, no, it's not looking good. Uh, what week? You said week nine?
1: Yeah, two weeks.
5: Do you have a date on that? Is, that? is that Halloween November week
1: 5th. November 5th.
5: Uh, I actually might be able to watch that. I got something later on that day. My nephew's got a hockey game that I got to go to. So on a Sunday,
1: should,
5: yeah, on a Sunday.
1: Your life He's is unraveling.
5: Arena—that's the only big deal. If it were a regular game, ah, I could play I got it because it's at UBS. So maybe that helps because I won't be able to watch the games in the afternoon. But
1: your life is unraveling right before your eyes.
5: Oh no, no, no! It's unravelled. Okay. It's been over for quite some time. You know, wait. you know that.
1: So wait, November fifth. Late, you're going to be there at the UBSA. Right, so that's Colts-Panthers, no big deal. Terrible game. Giants-Raiders, awful game. Oh, my God. Cowboys-Eagles.
5: What time is that, that one?
1: Four 4.25.
5: Yeah, I'm out on that one probably.
1: And you better be back at 8.20 for Bills-Bengals.
5: Yeah. Who do the nice. Jets got that week? You got a, the Jets up there. Who
1: cares? The Jets are – they play Monday night against the Chargers.
5: All right, so that helps. I um a Jets game.
1: Well, Jets-Eagles was the most watched game of the season. Did you see that on Sunday? Yeah, but I don't million? understand that. And now well,
5: Jeff fans, yeah, fans saying they're America's team. Like, come on.
1: I mean, who's taking that seriously? Oh, um,
5: my
0: God.
1: All right. Got some, got some mailbag questions here to go through quickly from our readers. We're going to try to do this every week. All right. Let's start it off here. Big Jim fan. At Big Jim Fan Twitter, if NFL Network is having at least five games per year now, why not have someone who actually does play-by-play on the call instead of a studio host? So that's a shot at Rich Eisen. Well, I would say two things. One, Rich Eisen has been with the NFL Network since it started. He's the face of the NFL Network. So I think the NFL Network is throwing him a bone and rewarding him for being their first employee. And they only have five games a year. They're not going to pay... Whenever you have a question about something, the first thing you have to think of is money. Everything's about money. They're not going to pay a top-line play-by-player for five games when they have someone in-house who can do it.
5: Yeah, but I'm not trying to pick on Rich Eisen like I grew up watching him. I love him. He's not a play-by-play guy. Like, it's just not good. The games are not as good when you don't have a real play-by-play guy doing it.
1: I don't mind him, to be honest with you, uh, because, again, I've always said, like, my rule for play-by-play, don't annoy me. He doesn't annoy me, but I, I guess you know for other people. Jim um, fan at five at Jim fan five two three. Do you pay the guests that come on the pod? No, and we barely pay Sal. So <laughs> um, at Alex Yukon fifty seven. Why aren't all Fox games shown in four K? When will this happen? Even MLB games are shown in four K. This may be a bad answer, but. One thing I'm always going to do is be honest with you guys. I don't even know what 4K is. I don't have a 4K TV. I don't know what 4K looks like. So I can't answer that. I have no idea. Do you know anything about 4K? I
5: I don't. I like to think that I have a 4K TV, but I have no idea. Did they change over recently?
1: I have no no idea. At Jay Broska55, if the purpose of flex scheduling as it involves Sunday night football is to give us the best possible matchups, why isn't the NFL doing so? Bears versus Chargers should have been flexed out for week eight. I guess it wasn't flexed out because the the Chicago market is... Now, you got to go... You got to hit week eight. So, you got to see if there's a game to replace it. So, Bears-Chargers is the Sunday night game in week eight. Um, so, that day you have... I see right off the bat. One o'clock, Jaguars-Steelers. That's a better game. Right. Jets-Giants, Texans-Panthers, Patriots-Dolphins, Falcons-Titans, Vikings-Pack... Well, you have, mm-hmm. and you have Rams Cowboys at one o'clock and you have Eagles commanders at one o'clock. They could have flexed that game. My I, I, my guess is maybe they don't want to use the flex so early and Chicago, the Chicago market will still give them a big rating. That's, that's probably why
5: that's a, that's a game. I wouldn't even want to waste a second on myself. There's chargers. Bears, chargers Bears, bear, yeah. yeah but if, if they flexed, no
1: right. If they flexed in Jaguar Steelers, then how would you feel? It's a better game. Yeah.
5: I think that's an important game in the AFC. Jaguars sort of play better. Steelers are always the Steelers. That's a big game,
1: right? But what's going on there is they want to. They, the Chicago market is huge, and they'll watch that game. So, all right, at Mad underscore Ramus, we got a brief glimpse of Sal's man cave recently on Twitter. Can Sal tell us more about that sweet setup he has? Pretty dope. Do you want to tell people about your basement with the big? Te- what is it? A pre- yeah, it's it, a. It, it,
5: it's sold. I mean, I'd say we're – well, not officially, but we're moving. So the thing that I created that i waited my whole life for is now gone. But wait, um,
1: that that TV doesn't come with you?
5: No. So part of the offer on the house was that they, they paid more to keep the theater room intact, basically. Projector, screen, speakers, seats that we – yeah.
1: Really?
5: Now, it doesn't mean that I can't. So you have to understand, too, Jimmy, like that was you've been in there. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. That's
1: why I'm stunned.
5: Well, but that was it's kind of built to the space there. Correct. So new house, maybe I could get a bigger screen or or different seating arrangements or whatever. But it was basically a finished basement that I put a wall in between it to kind of have like a separate theater slash sports viewing room. How do you know how many inches is that screen? 120
1: 120 inch projector screen staying there what do you have six of those recliner chairs or whatever they are
5: yeah like theater yeah they're staying yeah now again i we got paid for it but all that the speakers are wired in there and all that stuff so So yeah how do you feel how do you
1: feel feel about this
5: no it sucks i mean it's a, a a part of me, a part of it's a, I actually just rearranged it when you come. You'll see, I, I used to have three and then three in the back row. Now right. it's four up front and only two in the back because I figured if I have more people over, four of us could hang out, you know, in the front row or whatever.
1: Sal's got a popcorn machine down there.
5: Yeah, is that Stan coming with me? Popcorn's coming with me, but thank everything god. Else is-
1: <laughs> you'll never get me to Jersey. You
5: know you know what's sad, actually? Even if I built a big theater room in Jersey, like there's no chance you're coming over on a Sunday. Zero.
1: Zero. You can
5: never. Yeah, you, I know. It sucks like that. You'll sucks.
1: never see me again, Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> never.
5: No. The good news is that I'll be, be visiting my mother quite a bit on the island so we can still hang out. right that's what's good about where I am. Right. I,
1: you you got to pass me go- going to and from so you can.
5: It's it's on my list of we have to you have to come over at least one more Sunday and we got to do Maureens. That's on the list.
1: Right. Yeah. Poor more You'll be missing that. All right. Uh, last one here from at Sar McLean. Why do you think Joe Buck has gotten way more sour on calling baseball? If I had to guess one of the reasons in my opinion would be that he was fine with it until Fox started making him call football games at the same time. So Joe was on last week said he's never going to do network baseball game. I, I don't I don't. That take is not good. I think he just feels like he did it for 25 years. It's enough. Football's a full-time job. I don't think he's soured on it. I think he just doesn't want to do it anymore because he did it for so long. Um, And, you know, he's he's run his course with it. So, But if anyone didn't hear that, that was last week's pod with Joe Buck and Trey Aikman. Go ahead.
5: And he did it at the highest level. Like, what's what's more to do? He's done the world series. Like, he's done it all.
1: That's true. That's
5: true.
1: I I miss Joe on baseball in this postseason. I, you know, I talked about it on this pod with Simmons earlier and I, there's no voice of baseball and it sucks for the sport.
5: I like, um, I like that. Is it Brian Anderson
1: on TBS?
5: Yeah. I like him a lot. I think he's very good. He's got a good voice. He's solid. To your point, he doesn't annoy me. I think he's very good.
1: Yeah. All right, Sal. So before I let you go, so this Saturday is the house hunting.
5: All day, yeah.
1: But you got—you'll be locked in Sunday for the NFL.
5: Yeah. I now. Is, so, is there an early game this Sunday or no?
1: Um, let me check.
5: No, I have not watched. There is not. Okay,
1: no, no early.
5: Now, so here's the the last little <clears throat> caveat here, because of the house hunting all day Saturday. My wife, you know, I talk about I need a day off to myself. My wife wants, you know, to go do her nails or whatever. So when am I supposed to do that? So I say, all right, maybe Sunday morning you could go or whatever. So now I got to watch my daughter Sunday. Who knows how long my wife's going to be out for, run some errands of this. This is part of the issue.
1: But that to me, that's not as much as an issue. As if you have to be out. You're in the house at least. So at one o'clock, can't you just give your daughter an iPad and say goodbye and then watch the games? I mean, it's not that difficult to figure out, Sal.
0: So.
1: You do daddy daughter time up until 102 when they kick off. And then you can hand her an iPad and you say, Leave daddy
5: alone now. There you go. If, if only it were that easy. Put it this way I'm going to give it a try. Have, yeah. I am going to give that a try, but. When she starts screaming, you have
1: to make when, it like a game, Like, daddy's going to watch football and you're going to watch YouTube.
5: There right. You when three huge TVs are on football and she's got a little <laughs> iPad to watch Bluey and she starts throwing a fit because she wants daddy to change football to Bluey, then what? Then what do you do? Or, you know, she's got to change or she's got to eat. And then what? Then I miss the game. My bets are going awry. And then I'm angry. Like, it's just, you can't be bothered. For me, I need like from 1240. Till four thirty, at least I need to be left alone. There's nothing worse
1: than than being interrupted when the bets are going awry. That's <laughs> that's. I think I was Sunday. I was losing some game. My dad calls. I'm like, listen, I can't do this right now. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Jimmy, <laughs> how do I time. work the remote again? Yeah. The remote's the phone's I not. I need, I need the password. Niners
1: to. I need the Niners to complete a teaser. The refs are screwing them left and right, and you're calling me to tell me. You know, that you need, you need me to look at the, uh, you, you, you've been, you, oh, that was the one my dad pulled recently. I had to go over there and put closed captioning on all of his apps on his smart TV. Cause he has to, you know, he needs, cause he can't hear anything. So he needs on uh, Netflix, prime, max. I had to go put all the closed captioning. Oh, on.
5: oh my God. And he asks me
1: is- to do it and I'm losing money on I'm like, this is not, I, I can't do this right now.
5: I knew you had the Niners because I read your column. I guess it was Monday and you, you were eviscerating the refs and bitching oh, did, about did the Did you see?
1: I mean, I, I mean, how much did the refs have on the Browns? It's crazy. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit.
0: Oh,
5: God.
1: All right. Um, I guess that's it. So Saturday, house hunting for Sal. Yeah. I got my friends coming over Saturday for our annual, my friend Diesel, my friend Hal, for our annual college football. We've been doing this for like 20 years. They come over. Early, before the noon games, we bet every game and sit there and yell at the TV from noon to, I mean, I fall asleep like at 10 or 11. They go to like 2 in the morning watching the Hawaii game, and I'm sleeping, and we bet every game love and screaming and yell. Yeah. Well, I I, Beth, right? I've, I'm i going to Billy Joel Friday, so I'm going to be wiped out on Saturday. That's going to be At the Garden? Yeah.
5: Wow. you got a busy weekend.
1: Yeah. I mean, I need Joel? it. I, I didn't do anything for like, I was sick for like two weeks. I didn't do anything. So...
5: All right, when well, we got to get it on the books, where you can mm-hmm. come over and hang out for a football Sunday and more Marines.
1: Well, I'm not coming over if your daughter's going to be watching Bluey on the TV.
5: No, no, that's why. Well, that's why I hesitate to ask this week. I got to make sure I'm free and clear. Maybe no, the following week.
1: I'm going to be wiped this week because that, that, like, this is the part that gets old. This is the uh, this is the part about being old that just sucks more than anything. Like I have my buddies coming over for our college football thing. It's like top three day of the year. I love it. It's an annual. Like I can't. But I'm like, I have Billy the night before. I'm gonna be tired. Like first of all, it's <laughs> Billy Joel. It's not Metallica. It's not like I'm gonna be like I'm gonna you know. Right. You can relax during you know she's got a way about her and all that. But like like just the thought of like getting you know like getting home late in the city and the train yeah, and, I, this, those- and this
5: it's a grind I know I know the feeling I do I, I sing everywhere
1: I, I am one of those annoying concert people that sings everywhere like by the end of every concert I have no voice
5: We, I had that when we went to the M, the MJ play or whatever you know, a few weeks ago like that next the weekend was shot because I was so tired from a long yeah. night out so yeah all right
1: yeah. all right we'll see you next week take it easy
5: all right Jimmy talk to you all later right.
1: all right <laughs> All right, my many, many, many thanks to Bill Simmons. Very generous with his time, and I appreciate it. My thanks to Sal Licata. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you did and you're not a subscriber to SI Media with Jimmy Trina, hit the subscribe button. If you missed any recent episodes, check them out in the archives. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, the voices of ESPN's Monday Night Football, were on the podcast last week. Brian Curtis of The Ringer was on two weeks ago. Andrew Marchand of The New York Post three weeks ago. brought Kevin Clark from ESPN four weeks ago. So give those a listen. Subscribe, rate, and review. We'll read the reviews on an upcoming episode. All right. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. We'll see you next week. Stay safe and take care.
3: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City.
4: These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers. Whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.